AskGunQuestions.com is a website that we built back in 2007. And since then, for the last 15 years, people have been able to ask questions of simple to advanced nature, and we attempt to answer them in different ways over the years. Join us now as we start a new series to answer gun questions. All right, welcome everybody to our Saturday show where I ask a couple of people who've been gun owners their whole lives uh, to join me and we go over to our list of gun questions and we answer those questions that come into our website like the introduction said, but also any questions that might show up live. Oh, I'm not even screen sharing. Sorry about that. Let me open up the screen here. So uh, we've got Clover joining us from Texas. Thanks for jumping in. Hey, always a pleasure. Appreciate the invite. And then we've got uh, an invite out to Tony Simon in New Jersey. We'll see if he jumps in. And there we go. Now we got the screen share in here. So we've got this database of questions that have come in over the years. And we only got one new one that's come in. However, I think I answered a couple last week that maybe Clover can throw his two cents in. And then, of course, any questions that come in live, I guess I was saying that too. So we leave about a quarter to a third of the screen here that I'm wiggling is the comments. So feel free to be part of the show live. I do put this out now to our podcast stuff. Since I'm podcasting the Daily Gun Show, I decided to start including this audio. So if you're listening on one of the podcast platforms, feel free to head over to askgunquestions.com or use the feedback or use the comments on whatever platform you're on. We read them all and uh, we can throw those over here. Uh, so Clover, uh, we didn't uh, hook up last week. Anything um, since we've been doing the show for a while? Anything that might be on your mind, or anything you wanted to, uh, you were saving up for this show by any chance? Just give you a second to do that if that's the case. No, I don't. I don't. I don't think so. Just I think said plowing right into it. So we do have this one question here. I'm going to just plow right into that. Then came in from. Uh, no, you don't have to put your name in here, but they, this person put their name in. Why isn't it zooming in for me? But uh, that's weird. The question is, I guess I just have a weird delay. The question is, I, I've got these shotgun rounds. I want to ask if I can hunt birds with it, mostly pigeons. I mean, will I be able to eat what I hunt or will it be really damaged? Also, how many pellets inside the shot? Thanks. So I think there might be a language thing there. I kind of messed with it a little bit, but it is sort of broken. So I'm pretty sure, though, they didn't give us any of the info we needed, but it gives us a chance to riff on it. Want to go ahead? Um, yeah. So <laughs> it sounds, yeah, so it sounds like they're, they're concerned because there's a lot of pellets, basically, right, uh, which is the shot in the shell that, damages the meat um so uh, a few things i mean first of all bird hunting i mean if you're there's a reason that <laughs> and, and i had this issue my, my man my dad will dove hunt and it aggravates the bejesus out of me because he'll shoot them when they're perched or they're lit he won't shoot them on the wing when they're flying oh and so difference well i mean if you shoot one that's first of all that the, that's almost cheating um, I don't particularly like that avenue, and I don't know. Some states may actually have regulations as to whether or not you can shoot them if they're like lit on something or not. Um, yeah. No, that but, is the thing, right? Like some states, they don't want you just shooting birds that are sitting there because they might be 
yeah, something you know. those ways. But yeah, it, well, nest, nested, or I mean, there's no, there's, and there's no sport to it. Let's be honest. Well, but, you're hurting the tree, right? You're not doing any of the well, tree. This is true. Yeah, it's true. Um, but you know, if you're if you're talking about shooting a bird on the wing, and you know, you know, in flight, um, you know, the reason that you use uh, shot shells is the pattern. You've got a lot of projectiles out there, and that bird is moving so you've got a better chance of hitting said bird so first of all not all of the pellets i i can get where somebody might think that you know if they cut a shot uh, shotgun shell open and dumped it out they go oh my god that's a lot of you know a lot of things i have to pick out of the meat well first of all you're not going to get that many in the bird uh odds are um second of all usually the the velocity and everything is such uh that it'll that it'll go through so um you know, will it tear up the meat? No. Uh, short answer is no. I mean, if you took and you cut down on a bird that was perched from, so let's say, 10 yards out with a shotgun, yeah. Something like a dove, the size of a dove, uh, yeah, you're going to damage the meat. <laughs> you're going to destroy it. Uh, but in flight, you know, getting one, uh, no. Um, is it possible that, you know, you take that thing, you clean it out, um, and you end up having to, you know, pick a BB or something like that out. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's it's possible, right? And so, um, but keep in mind, too, if you're shooting something like a bird, I mean, you do not cook those things whole. Typically, uh, unless you're talking about something huge, like a turkey, like a duck, and that's completely different types of shot as well. But if you're talking about a big bird like that, um, you know, yes, okay, you'll eat the legs, you'll eat this, but like a, a quail or a dove or anything like that, uh, basically you're going to pop the breasts. I mean, that's the only amount of meat in there worth even messing with. It's just way too much work and, you know, everything for what you get, right? So uh, just keep in mind if you're bird hunting that you do have uh, specific regulations for bird hunting, both upland and waterfowl. Uh, which are duck and, and geese, uh, have their own uh, regulations. I mean, in a lot of places, you can only have a shotgun capable of holding three rounds total, one in the pipe, two in the in the tube. Um, and then when you're talking waterfowl, you've got restrictions on the type of ammo that you can use. Uh, also, when you go with a bigger bird, typically you, you, you know, two and three quarter inch shells for dove and uh, two and three quarter inch shells in you know, seven and a half shot, you know, eight shot um, is is usually sufficient for stuff like dove and quail. Uh, when you bump up into the larger birds, duck and, and geese, you know, you're going to have to go three inch, maybe three and a half inch. Well, that you know, majorly increases the recoil, felt recoil. Uh, it's a much more powerful shell. Uh, and then uh, your payload is less pellets let's say or bbs or whatever and they're also bigger and they're also they can't be lead uh they need to be copper they need to be copper plated steel uh there's requirements for that as well did i cover everything maybe i don't know because it's a tough one because the question is kind of vague so kind of we've got these shotgun yeah. rounds well they didn't give us much detail either so i got these shotgun rounds right are they you know, some people will say shotgun rounds and mean shot shells for like a 38 or something, right? So, right. Assuming we just went right to assuming shotgun, 
I've been showing some pictures of shotgun shells. Most people know what those look like. True. Yeah. Uh, I want to ask if I can hunt birds with it. Okay, mostly pigeons. In our country, pigeons are nuisance animals, and you kill pigeons and try to kill them so that they fall off the roof so that they don't get gross up there. So, you know, we've got whole different philosophies on pigeons. Nobody's eating pigeons that I'm aware of in this country for anything. Maybe to make cat food or dog food or something like that. People might be using pigeons for something like food or something, but... Anyway, so in this country, we don't really eat pigeons. They're a little bit different. They're kind of like a chicken. They got a lot more breast. I mean, as, as far as a pigeon compared to a dove, there's got to be more meat on a pigeon, though. Or is a pigeon just fat? Depends on, the, on the pigeon, but yeah, it's probably. I've never eaten a pigeon. I never even ripped apart a pigeon. A lot of, so. and a lot of, I have. I have. And I've actually okay. crow, too. And all three of them are very similar. Matter of fact, crow can right. get pretty big. I would never eat one, but they can definitely be Cook the right way, you can't hardly tell the difference between a, a pigeon, a crow, and a and a dove. But really? you know, it's, yeah, that whole tastes right. like chicken thing, right? I mean, it's it's like it's close enough that most people can't tell the difference. And then, um, will I be able to eat what I hunt, or how many pellets inside the shot? And that's the thing is, you you know, you were describing it, and it's tough for people, I think, to figure it out. But using this uh, image that shows some different size of the shot. Um, you're pretty much always going to have the same weight of shot. So you're either going to have a whole bunch of little ones or you're going to have a few big ones in there. A right. few big ones is what I would prefer to use. I'd like to shoot birds with like a six or something, like something you'd use for rabbits because ideally I'd hit one pellet into the bird and it would knock it over and I'd only have one pellet of you know issue, trauma or whatever. Ideally you hit it in the head or something so that it, you know, the meat is good to go. But that's dreamland, right? You can't do that. You can't wish for that. You're going to waste a lot of ammo and time and stress a lot of birds out trying to do that. So in reality, you shoot, what, like an eight, well, 10 even for birds in flight. And because you only need to hit them with just a little tiny thing. They're tiny. But the problem is because you got so many out there to, for lots of reasons, mainly to get your odds up. Um, like Clover was talking, this is a really bad image. If it was color and this inside shape was a different color it would be easier to see but your shot is going to leave your barrel expand and then the usefulness of it the energy or whatever kind of falls into a cone again right like it the shot does go out but these strays lose all kind of power or energy or whatever so they're less and less effective so the effectiveness of your what do they call that the the mass of pellets there's a name for that the shot a shot column column uh, you know, the effectiveness of that, it's, it's, there's a whole bunch of stuff there. So basically, you know, you've got a, I, you, how far away are you hitting that bird? And then you, a good hunter is going to know his equipment or her equipment. And then the bird, in this case, the bird's tendencies. And in other words, somebody who's competent and knows that they like to eat birds when you hit them out here so that there's a couple of pellets hitting it as opposed to up here where you're going to be picking pellets out of every square inch of meat, right? A good hunter will give the bird a little bit of room and then hit it when it's out here, right? Yep. They're going to pick right. the time and place for that strike. And they're not going to just, you know, an earlier hunter is going to get a lot of pellets in their stuff because they're pulling the triggers for the first opportunity instead of the precise opportunity. And I don't know if I'm adding, but, you know, I think that's a bit to it. Like, well, it my experience hunting is the makes trick it, to learn what your tool can do. And then to take that bird where you basically are in a safe range where you're going to take it, but also with the end of your column or the beginning of your column. So it's not just saturated with pellets. Makes a difference, too. 
the gauge you're using. You've shown on screen there a variety oh, yeah, of yeah. different. Yeah, and that's why you, know, you got to realize. Exists, I mean, right? the people that are good use 410 because there's barely any pellets to even deal with. Yeah, but it's very high level of difficulty with with 410. And and interestingly enough, 28 gauge. I'm a big fan of 28, and 28 is just slightly uh, bigger shell than than 410, but it's it's drastically different. Uh, in my opinion, as far as the level of difficulty. And then when you get into, of course, uh, you know, 12 and 20 being the most common, uh, you know, 12 pretty easy, but, you know, potential of picking pellets if you go 12. Um, the, the You mentioned, a, a you know, a shot shell, and you're right that there is such a thing as bird shot. Some people call rat shot bird shot. They call it the same thing, where it's a, um, you know, it is a metallic cartridge with, shot instead of a projectile instead of a single projectile or single bullet there is shot uh some people call it snake shot as well um the problem that i see uh can you use that i mean i guess you could uh the problem i see is most of that is meant for handguns uh it's not the greatest because that type of stuff you typically shoot through a rifled barrel shotguns are smoothboard um and you're shooting that stuff. So if you get stray pellets that are outside of the capsule, that's kind of keeping them from, you know, banging around inside the, the rifling. Um, you know, you could potentially create issues for your for your barrel, uh, most of which could be cleaned up unless you're using something like steel shot in there, which would really suck. Um, and then you're talking about most of that being a handgun. So you're talking about a shorter barrel. Um, so you're not going to get... Uh, near the uh, uh, near the pattern energy. that you would otherwise energy, yeah, and then you've got your pattern issue as well because you have no choke and that's a rifled barrel, so it's going to act completely different. That shot is coming out of a well, rifled barrel. And imagine taking like a shopping bag full of base balls of some sort, tennis balls or something, and then it when it's just sitting there, it's one thing. If you were to like throw it to someone, they'd all kind of stay together. But if you were to twist that thing around and around and around those tennis balls with centrifugal motion are going to want to all leave in different directions right they're going to want to like make a star pattern and just all spin out of there and that's what happens with shot out of a rifled any rifled barrel right so you use a smooth board because as soon as you start that thing spinning it all hits the end of your bright your muzzle and it all just it, it basically blows it there's no pattern it just blows the pattern out all the, the stuff right. in the middle might go but you know it doesn't it wasn't affected by rifling but chunks of you know a big portion of your shot is going to be affected by the rifling and just right. completely spin out basically be dangerous it's just like having spatter come out the end almost good yeah yeah so tony's jumping in we're just chatting with the only question we got this week tony is uh shotgun rounds want to ask if i can hunt birds with it mostly pigeons so that kind of got us on a tangent i mean be able to eat with what i hunt or will it have so many pellets inside um so kind of a broken question but we were just using it to uh, start off the show. Oop, I don't know if you want to add anything to that one. No, I think you guys probably nailed it. I mean, it's it's bird shot, um, and you're hunting a bird, so it should be good. The only thing I guess I was thinking is uh, if it, well, I guess he does say eating it, but the pigeon part threw me because that might be again somebody who's trying to shoot something up on the roof of some place or being a nuisance thing on a sign or on a you know somewhere in a tree or something where pigeons might be being a nuisance or something, and you might want to shoot them without shooting them with something so powerful that you're damaging the building. 
and that's where sometimes those shot shells are a good option. They give you the pattern and they give you some some energy, but the energy dissipates really quick. It's each, those little, each of those little pellets just loses their energy whenever they hit, you know, brick or cement or something. Yeah, I mean, there's a difference between pest removal and hunting, though. I mean, you know, they're two different. Yeah, two and different this thing's hunting. Yeah, and if you're going to use them for pest removal, I think one of the uh now i don't know a lot about hunting but whatever uh <laughs> i i do know if you're gonna do pest removal i.e they're already landed they're not moving you know they're not in flight um quality pellet gun quality pellet gun is, is yeah. actually a good purchase um doesn't qualify as a firearm in a lot of places uh you can get them either in 177 which i'd go with something bigger like a 22 uh caliber air rifle and you can even go up from there i mean i've seen them in 30 caliber i've seen them in nine millimeter um i've even seen them in like point four something i don't know i've seen one guy he's crazy mr hollow point i think is his name and he's hunted boar wild boar with him so you can go up a lot but uh yeah, if you're just popping something in the urban environment, one of those survivalist, I'm going to provide my own food kind of things, air rifle, it's quiet. Many of them come with um, sound moderators, I think we have to call them in this country, because it's not a silencer, but it is. And uh, yeah, <clears throat> that's what I would use. It'd be cool if we... Uh came up with some kind of OSHA rating. So they're silencers if they're this many decibels, they're suppressors if they're that many decibels, and then they're just muzzle devices, you know, if they don't read some threshold or something. Decibels on, a lot of that has to do, though, you got to realize, a lot of that has mm -hmm. to do with the barrel length. It's not the suppressor itself, but what is it going on? Yeah. So it can be rated one thing, but if you put it on a shorter barrel or you put it on something that's a heavier or lighter load, it, it's going to change the sound signature. So oh, that's a great point. And um, they say that uh, elevation will make a difference. Yep. And barometric pressure and humidity, oh, yeah. all those things make difference. All of that. So you also, would just say six inch barrel, like some standard six inch barrel at sea level and blah, blah, blah. Right. So then everybody yeah. gauges off of that or whatever. You know, interestingly enough, talking about, you know, the shot shells and shot capsules. Um, you know, I was told years ago, I mean, it's like, hey, you know, most of the shot stuff that that uh old timers like i use i use number 12 shot and i'm like good lord if you've never seen number 12 shot those are tiny um and so i, I load my own shot shells one of the reasons that are my you know capsules uh, for 38 usually and, and one of the reasons that uh he liked it is he's like the ricochet factor is nothing so if you've ever shot like bird shot just seven and a half or something that let's say a piece of plywood even or anything like that right it bounces off it comes back on you it's crazy right especially if you hit steel or something like that um you know now lead is not nearly as bad as as using steel shot or copper plated or something but um yeah the ricochet factor on number 12 i guess because it's so tiny right um is is unbelievable i mean i've shot that with eye pro and, and stuff of course you know on is it for like hunting pen. or is it just for clays for pet well the for pest control right it's primarily oh, okay. used in in uh you know rich rat shot snake shot that sort of thing right and so i've actually shot it at 10 at good lord just like several feet and it's pretty crazy because it hits and it like immediately falls i mean it's like nothing comes back on you 
it's I've really, seen number it's really seven. interesting. I've seen number seven in 12 gauge, and that stuff is like 400 uh, pellets in a 12 gauge shell for like number seven, number eight. I forget which one it was. But man, <laughs> number 12 must be pepper. <laughs> it must be small as pepper. It's, it's small, but like I said, I guess because, you know, energy is weight uh, multiplied mm-hmm. by speed divided by, I can't even remember the equation, but either way, equals MC squared, right? Um, mm-hmm. Same principle. But you know, I guess because it's so light, right, it does not have the mass. And so um, as soon as it hits, it's got no energy. And as soon as it hits anything that's even remotely restrictive, um, you know, it just, it loses all energy. So it's, it's really interesting to shoot that stuff up close onto some metal or some wood. Um and see how it just it just falls to the ground. Uh, this insist is on topic still. Mike White says, growing up, I hunted birds with my Crossman CO2 22 caliber pellet pistol to feed the snakes. So that's interesting. I've heard of feeding snakes with mice, but I didn't know they I guess it makes sense if it's a difference between a mouse and a bird, or a mouse and a snake, a mouse and a bird, I guess. Yeah, that, actually, uh, be a pretty big snake for a bird. <laughs> That's you know, Maggie throwing out force. Yeah, energy is what I was getting at, not force. But I just I remember, remember the first time uh, my partner and I were out shooting. Uh, we'd hosted, you know, shotgun classes. We were at the farm. That was our original place uh, that we taught classes, and uh, we'd put the targets on heavy-duty fifty-five-gallon plastic drums. And the plastic drums were full of uh, topsoil and things like that. And that was our backstop. We had a few of those lined up. So pretty much nothing we were shooting was going to have energy enough to go through, you know, two 55-gallon plastic drums of anything. We were shooting the shotguns just trying to get the pattern. And we were shooting and we thought flies or bugs were hitting us in the pants because we were shooting pretty close and it was that number seven, number eight shot coming back and hitting us. And I'm like, that had very little energy. Like it, it just felt like a bee flew into you, you know, a bumped into you. But not like a shower, like one or two. Per mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Just, just, just one or two. So it was like hitting the target, hitting the ground, hitting something, hitting something, hitting something, hitting you. Yeah. Just, just very low energy and not all of them. Because like I said, you have, hundreds of them per shot shell but uh we learned something that that was one of those teachable moments as instructors you know because you put in time i mean trying to be an instructor and not having trigger time how, how are you going to learn anything how do you how just do you... watch youtube videos yeah exactly <laughs> and we have a lot of those all right well so going back to last week one of them I answered it pretty easily, but I'll let you guys take a run at it. Which is better, the Ruger 1022 or the Marlin 60, and why? Better for what? All right, because I, I have both. I'm sure I'm sure Clover has both. Um, I live in Jersey, and I throw that out there only because usually the Marlin 60 will be the one that will be the last one that's banned. Because it doesn't have a detachable magazine, and yep. it's it's um it, it's the one that usually gets the exemption first uh, with the tubular mag. Uh, the ten twenty two, 
awesome, fun gun, easy to add accessories, easy to get magazines with a lot more rounds. Um, over 10 million of them are made since 1965. So if you want to throw accessories on it and do a lot of stuff to it, you're going to have more ability with the Ruger. Uh, both of them are great. Uh, Ruger has a lot of stuff. Like with the Ruger, you could put heavy barrel, match triggers, a ton of stuff. I don't know about many things that you can do to that Marlin besides change the stock out and maybe add a trigger to it. Even but adding the trigger, even adding the trigger, you got to be careful with the uh, with the model. Unlike the 1022, there's been some pretty significant changes with the fire control group over the years with the okay. uh, with the Marlin Model 60. So, um, especially if you've got older models, any of the the modern trigger stuff likely is not going to fit. And, and even even at that, it's not nearly as drop in as the Ruger 22. So, 1022, it's not nearly as easy. Uh, either. Yeah. But the cool thing about this whole thing, if you want to get some 22s and have a few so you can teach people who always have something, the Marlins, when you can pick them up used, are going to be a heck of a lot cheaper. Oh, yeah. I agree. I mean, you could probably even nowadays find a used one in that, uh, you know, 125 probably range, slightly over 100 bucks. Mm-hmm. Where you're looking, I would say, probably even on a used 1022 at this point, if you could find one for less than two and a half, I think you'd be doing good. And it'd be garbage, right? Like That'd all worn out or broke or something. That or it's an absolute base model, you know, type thing, which is not the end of the world. But as far well, as it would be ideal to get a like a generic, unaltered, brand new out of the or you know, just even a back of a safe or something like a project right. that never happened. But most people are going to look at that and go, there's some extra value there because Man. I've never messed with it. I'm guessing for that low money, you're getting one where it started like that. Somebody put a bunch of goofy stuff on it and they don't remember all the real parts were. So now you're buying it in that goofy configuration and true. they're taking a loss because it's all weird, you know, for whatever they thought was cool in the 1990s. That's true. Now, as far as, uh, <laughs> as far as reliability uh, goes, I've, I've, got model 60s that were gunked up something absolutely horrible on the inside uh they're a little they have a little more in the way of parts um i don't want to say they're like a swiss watch or anything like that bad of course i understand them really well i've taken apart and put that together so many at this point but um to me it's a little they're a little more complex on the inside um than the 1022 um, and you know, one thing I'll say about Marlin that, that micro groove barrel on the Marlin uh, model 60s lend, does lend itself to inherently be a little more accurate, I think, than a 1022. Now, we're talking, you're talking the rifling, yeah. Now, mm -hmm. like I said, we're talking, you know, we're not talking like major differences. Most people plinking cans or steel or something like that. I mean, you're not going to notice the difference, but you know, if you actually got them on a bench and you know, tried some different ammos and you were actually doing some precision work with them, right? I think you would you would find that most of the time a, uh, and we're talking stock configuration, most of the time a Marlin Model 60, and in particular an older model, Marlin Model 60, uh, we're talking 20, 30 years old, uh, is going to be uh, way better as far as that, or, or noticeably better, put it to you that way, as far as accuracy over the What's the difference in those two about how the barrel connects to the receiver? Is it different or are they the same? Oh, yeah. Uh, different. Oh, yeah. 
different. Um, and listening to, <laughs> to Clover, yeah. Uh, the difference between taking a Ruger apart and taking that Marlin apart, I will take a Ruger apart all day <laughs> before I touch that 60. Um, I even have a Super 60 uh, from, darn, I forgot the name of the company. They went out of business, but uh, they had a special trigger made up that was nickel boron coated, uh, heavy barrel, all kinds of things. And they put it in a kit with an adjustable stock. And they sent one to me to use the diversity shoots and to introduce kids to uh, uh, to shooting. And I did it. And then when I, you know, sent pictures and tried to tag them in it, I found out they were no longer in business, which was a real bummer. Because it's kind of, I, I don't want to highlight firearms that are no longer around, you know, in case someone really likes shooting it. I'm like, yeah, um, they don't make it anymore. So I can't direct you to them. Kind of sort of sucks. But I still don't want to take that apart either. So when you say they're different, the 60 is a better attachment method than the, what is the 1022? It just screws in. 60 is a pin to barrel, essentially. And that's better than uh, screwing in? Um, and then, yeah, and then it's not even a screw in. A, a 1022 is the light of the model 60 the chamber area that goes up into the receiver is essentially smooth and it goes in but the 1022 has a lug that a v block attaches to that that pinches everything together as far as the receiver and the barrel it pinches that together um, whereas the marlin the barrel slides in it's got a, a groove, and you actually drive a pin that goes through the receiver, through the barrel, uh, through the receiver on the other end. So um, you don't have the possibility of a screw getting loose. You don't have the possibility of over-torquing or under-torquing um, with heat and with other things. The It's all going to be con more consistent. And we're talking on a micro level. I mean, we're not again, we're not talking about such differences that you know you're going to have three inch groups at you know 50 yards with one and half inch groups with the other we're not talking about anything like that but it, it's you know the design kind of theoretical but also just in yeah. general if some if one of them is going to fall behind the floorboard in a truck and get torqued or something one of them is going to just twist and the other one is going to resist I mean, like the pin one won't, won't got the, the, got the potential got the potential for that yeah yeah all right well um i just was linking up stuff i was asking if anybody had questions out there uh smeggy's saying i remember something about them going bankrupt i'm guessing he's saying marlin uh uh the company the company uh, harvest something. I, I forgot. So they the were making like a, an aftermarket third-party Marlin. They yeah, the whole thing was them making a heavier-duty, modernized with uh, adjustable AR stock and adjustable pistol grip, and uh, it, they were just gone. <laughs> they even had pick rail on it. Um, I remember taking it out and taking some photos with it. You know, so you can. Uh, what do they call it when you, you when you hunt like a, a raccoons and stuff at night? Spotlighting. Oh, okay. You can spotlight with it <clears throat> because it already had the pick rail built in. 
you know, and to do that with a 1022 is at least at that time years ago when that was out, that'd be like a whole new stock and all kinds of money put into it when you could just buy this thing stock semi-automatic and roll with it. It's a fun rifle though. I mean, I still have it. Uh, I may break it out just again, just for the heck of it when uh, we get our place, because I was uh, doing a accuracy comparison between that, uh, the Ruger 1022, my CZ Ultra, uh, I forgot the name of it, but it's the CZ5. I forgot the numbers. It's it's, it's a bolt action CZ22 trainer. Oh, I didn't even ask. The Marlin 60 is a bolt a- is a semi-auto, right? Yes, correct. Semi-automatic tube fed. It's so a tube I, fed. I had my longer bolt. Yeah. I can't think. Whenever I think tube fed, I have to. I think my brain reflexes to bolt, but in this case, it's semi. And I had another one too. Uh, the lever action uh, Henry Frontier with a twenty-something inch barrel. I just wanted to shoot them all against each other, doing accuracy, and of course, you know, have fun for a day at the range. And just longest compare. Win or no? There's what was that? Did the longest barrel win or a different result? I oh, I have CZ I probably. I, the CZ is crazy accurate, yeah. but it was yeah. using iron sights. All, all I had was iron sights on everything. And that CZ is a one holder. Um, the lever action, uh, the lever action Henry, when I shot that, the groups were bigger because of the sights set up. Because, of course, it had the lever action cowboy sights. Buckhorn. Buckhorns. I hate buckhorn and semi buckhorn sights. I just do not, I've never shot them well. Really? Okay, cool. Well, I thought that was just me. No, that's, uh-huh. that's you. You know what? I think you fall into the game, Tony, because you have shot precision. Uh, stuff before, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have that same background, and so it's refreshing to hear you say that because I think it's something to do with me being used to aperture sights, and those buckhorns are just—it's that's a different game. I mean, you're just looking at something totally different. You've got these big wide gaps that gets even wider, and it's like I'm used to having uh, what is the word like concentricity or something, right? With my right with my precision sights and those buckhorns, mm-hmm. the way they're designed, you just, you can't get that. And so, um, yeah, when you talked about using irons on the CZ, that was a, a that's a great point. I mean, it, a lot of people like optics and they go to optics and they go to you know, optics, this and optics, that, and it's like, you know, you can't get any better for precision work than irons. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get it if you can't see, but you know, you can, you know the the people forget that peep sights are for back in the days before people had glasses. Peep oh yeah, oh yeah, focus better. Oh yeah, and um, you know you you're talking about reducing the margin of error. Anytime you add an optic, you increase. I mean, think about a red dot, right? At any given distance, what is the area inside that red dot on the target? Right, that can be an inch, two inch, three inches worth of area that. Okay, you've got the red dot on that, but where's it going to fall inside? The shot going to fall inside that red dot, right? We're talking about accuracy there, and then with a scope, especially you know magnified optics, what people don't realize is everything is exaggerated through that magnification. So any movements you make, uh, your breathing, your all of that stuff, um, it's much more noticeable, and it will throw you off a lot of times. Um, trying to to do precision work with a uh with a scope 
I, I, I like doing, uh, yeah, as long as you can see, iron sights are awesome. But as I've gotten older, I've seen when I'm trying to compare something, when I'm trying to really do honest, unbiased work, I'm like, I need glass. I need an optic so I can be the best I can possibly be with putting these rounds where they need to go. Um, again, and this is just bench resting and shooting at a target that way. Uh, trying to get the tightest groups as possible. So this is not action shooting. This is not defensive shooting. This is not combat shooting or whatever. You know, the newest name that Tactical Timmy wants to put at shooting a rifle at pistol distance. <laughs> this is actually trying to shoot tight groups and, and just do that Zen thing. I feel it's a Zen thing. It's oh, concentrating. Yeah. It's breathing. It's, it's breath control. It's having control over when you pull the trigger and attempting to do the same thing the same way every time. To me, yep. that's a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, Jay, you got the buck horn up there in the middle, and that just that just throws me. Those little ears <laughs> that come up this like is, uh, this is throw. an accurate way to, to, to diagram it, I guess. I haven't mm -hmm. seen that particular style, but typically they're more like made out of metal and on old cowboy guns. And this is mm -hmm. the way I've always been familiar with them is that they're sort of like the red dot of the old days. They give you options with your front sight on a lever action gun typically. So on a lever action, you're going to have the top of your sight, the base of your sight, and then you're going to have the midpoint of the, like consider it a peep. You're going to have the middle of the peep, but then because it's a broken peep on the top, that's why they call it the horns, you can bring your the, either the top or the bottom of your front sight to those that line at the top where you break the top of the peep and that's basically giving you a you can think of it as a, a lower third what's that called or a lower third co-witness co-witness so it's sort mm -hmm. of giving you know you've got think of this as your 25 yard zero your 75 yard zero your 100 yard zero and your 300 yard zero so it's giving you more options if you're a cowboy and you might have to be shooting up close and personal or at, you know something close quick boom it's just all in the middle right just middle 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 boom and it's fast but if you need to take that long shot you've got something that's fairly strong because it's kind of like a peep you know there's just basically a circle with the broken peep so you've got something that's fairly strong and robust compared to any kind of optic of the day and then you just Give your this is basically up and down windage, elevation windage. This is giving you some aim points, kind of like nothing different than a reticle. You know, a reticle is going to have yeah. different uh, etches in it for different distances. This is just the cowboy's version of that. So I get that's the problem. I just closed that other picture. A lot of people think that it's just a big giant notch, and you're supposed to put the top of your sight at the bottom of the notch. And if you think about that, it's going to kind of shoot you into the dirt. So if they went to zero off of that, then they're just thinking it's a big, you know, like the curvy toe boots or a big belt buckle. They think it's just some ornamentation. If they right. haven't been told that, hey, it's basically just an old cowboy's red dot. And you think of somebody who's either up in the mountains looking for food, and sometimes it's a critter like a rabbit, and sometimes it's a deer, and sometimes it's right there, and sometimes it's way off. Because I don't think there was too many rifle fights going. I think it was more like, oh, crap, I'm going to shoot that thing. And I want to actually hit it, right? Instead of, like, maybe yeah. hitting it. I think that's really where they're from. 
because you mostly see them on old guns and they're all pot metal and sometimes they're kind of crude because guys just kind of made them so what well, what's always okay. gotten me i think by it is you know, i think if you you know i think i, I can shoot buckhorns better if the ammunition specific ammunition was dialed into a specific rifle with that buckhorn right what i run into is um you know the slightest little change it seems like that you make with your ammunition and that's no longer in the center right and, and right. unless you've you know, got an adjustable like, front height which you don't you yeah grind it and you, you only go adjustable one way and you're not adjusting yeah. anything back here other than left and right i guess and then you're, you're confusing things further because you're talking about using the tip of your barrel versus the center of the lollipop, right? So it's like you've got two different aim points on the front, you know, plus oh, then you've got, the thing. and it's like, um, it's just confusing. It, it, it gets me every single time. Well, here's the thing. Um, let me see how I can, I mean, I think I can just do it with my webcam. I think, let me flip over to my webcam and see if this will work. Click this off, right? Yeah. So this is here. Let me grab this. So let's say that, you know, this is just your plain old notch and front sight, right? But let's say I, this wasn't 25 yards away. This was now 200 yards away. Where's a little thing I can shoot at? Take the tip off for this thing. So I'm shooting at this little guy, and it's now 200 yards away. So at... I should have picked something. That, well, it's just, that's something that's white here. So if I'm shooting, I don't know if this is going to work. This is proper sight alignment. Nah, it ain't going to work, did Proper sight alignment would be here. That works pretty good, right? Now, if this was 200 yards away, on my pistol, I'm just going to, I'm going to start looking not at my front notch anymore, but if this was a different pistol, there's a notch right here where my channel ends. Now I'm using my notch and that, and I'm looking through my barrel. And now I'm lining, not with the top of my notch, but I'm lining with this part right here right. and looking through my notch. And now my, you know, my trajectory is going to go up and down. And now I've just given my little whatever inch barrel a, an opportunity to hit consistently at 200 yards. So now if I chuck up and line up with my rear sight with a portion of my barrel here, and this could be the front of your AR, this could be, you know, a thing that you've painted on your up rail or something. So you not, you choke up and you've got that consistency. And now I hit over here. Well, now I can do this. And now I hit here. But if I'm hitting up here, you know what I'm saying? Like you can use your own gun with other front things besides your front sight. And that's how with a Glock, I just don't have a Glock handy, but with a Glock, you've got the top of your sight and you've got the bottom of your sight. You've got the front of your thing. You've got all kinds of places. And if you've got serrations and stuff, you can just chuck up. And as long as you're consistent, I don't know if you guys have ever done that before, but I can, you know, if I'm out at a 200 yard range, I'll shoot pistols against somebody with a rifle because you can get a consistent sight off of just places on your gun that aren't your front sight. And that's going to chalk you up. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have done that before, but you know, oh, yeah. when we're out playing and stuff, I'll do that to, you know, basically just yep show people, hey, you can use that gun too for way out there. It's not there's no oh, energy, but you can make noise out there. Oh yeah, I mean, I've I've done it with uh, <laughs> I've done it with a lot, but uh, I think my most fun 
well, a couple times, but my most fun w w was with a brand new Glock 45. The G45 model, one of our guys picked it up and we were just having a fun shoot. It was supposed to be just us guys hanging out at the range having fun. It wasn't a competition. It wasn't an instructional thing. And uh, <clears throat> we were just shooting everything at a 200-yard, 14-inch metal target. And the guy was like, hey, I just picked up this Glock 45 from the store on the way over here. Want to shoot it? First shot, ping, <laughs> 200 yards, and just emptied the mag. And I think I had like a 70% hit rate. <laughs> it was like, okay, I think I think this Glock is pretty accurate. And then my most favorite was shooting my 686 at a hostage target at 100 yards and doing a headshot on it. Nailing that the bad guy. Hitting it like the middle of a big steel is one thing, but being super accurate at distance, that's a whole nother level. <laughs> oh, that was the shortest range day ever. That was the first shot I'd lined it up and went, bow. Uh, my spotter was like, dude, you hit him in the face. I was like, what? You hit the hostage target in the face. Uh, the hostage taker in the face. Popped it open, dumped all the rounds out. I'm done. I'm like, I can't beat that. What What am I going to do? Yep. Yep. You ever get lucky, don't ever act like it. Not like you meant to do it. Oh, yeah. You get into the end zone, act like you make touchdowns all the time. I did that one time with a quick draw from the hip. We were playing around and put some balloons out, and uh, we were shooting. Uh, oh, I'm sure it was, we were shooting 22, so I'm sure they were rough riders and, you know, uh, had a holster. And I actually, um, I actually fumbled it. You know, I, I, I pulled it out of the holster and went to fan the hammer. Um, and I had, I had too much trigger when I did it. Um, and just absolutely got lucky. Like you were talking about right out of the gate, first shot, pound, pop the balloon. I mean, it was fast. I looked like, uh, um, uh, oh man, who, who's the uh, fast, uh, fast girl? Munden? Yeah. Munden. Mund yeah. Yeah. That's it. Uh, like, look like Munden, man. Fanned it and everybody was like, their jaws dropped. And I, I did exactly what Tony did. Uh, I reholstered and I'm like, yeah, I'm done. I don't got anything else to prove. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not really being disingenuous. It's like, look, I, I know the principles of marksmanship and the fundamentals and all that stuff. But sometimes you got to recognize luck, too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We're not getting questions in, in an attempt to give us something to chat about from what you guys were just talking about. I'm going to ask two questions. Um, what is an innovative target that you guys have um, come across over the years? So what is an, an innovative target, like a target that whatever the word, however you want to describe innovative. And then another question in this order, because first let's talk about the innovative one. What is an idea for a DIY um, target or something that you can do at the range target wise? Like, because you guys said balloons, shooting at balloons, and that made me think, oh, what kind of clever stuff have you guys seen at the range or used at the range or not been able to use but looks cool? And then the second one is what's an idea of a DIY, something like, you know, I think we talked about it before, putting a balloon on a hanger and then putting a shirt over it. And when you hit the balloon, you can, you can, you get a visual indicator that you, 
you know, you had a good shot and that could be a really three-dimensional thing for a non-typical range. So, you know, with that kind of concept, that would be the second one. What's a DIY target? Well, what's the first I, one? What's I, an innovative target you guys have used or seen? I, I wish I'd have known that one because we actually, we discussed one of them and had the company on and it was, um, it was a light that goes behind your metal target. And when you hit the metal target, the light will light up to let you know you hit it. You know, when the round is further out, like two or 300 yards and mm -hmm. you're at a range, you're not going to hear it, especially when we were doing our competitions and things like that, because we were trying to come up with different ways to get people to come out of the house and just shoot their guns with us. Uh, you know, it wasn't like, a three gun or a two gun competition. It was like a fun competition between us. We had pro prizes and what we were really trying to do was get people to come out. Um, the thing that lit up was, I thought it was really cool. I, I, I wish I'd known the name of the uh, company, but it was kind of inexpensive comparatively. All you had to do was hook it up to the back of your metal target, whatever it was. And when that, when it hit with enough energy, it would light up this thing to let you know you hit the target. I thought that was pretty cool because that's one of the problems when you get out a little further, you don't, you don't hear whether you and hit that or not. The, the flags or whatever are kind of useless at night. So if you even mm -hmm. have a flag kind of indicator, now I've seen them where you put lights on your steel targets on the back, but it's more of like uh, for the instructor to hold and then they can key through and you light up the target that you want the students to shoot kind of thing. So oh, okay. you're not trying to hit them, but it's not an indicator as much as an indicator of which target you should be shooting at. And I've only seen that. I forget whose that was, but it was kind of recently and only one instructor ever. So that's interesting because it wouldn't be tough at all to uh, do what you're talking about and make well, the only thing bad, I guess, is the batteries. You'd have to go turn it on and off or gather it at the end of your shooting session. You're not it's not like a flag where you're just going to leave it there when you're done shooting. Yeah, yeah, no, it was uh, it was definitely just set up. So because we, we shot at the public range and when you have the entire line of people shooting, you're not going to hear that steel get hit when the guy next to you shooting a Mosin or right. because it, it's Jersey, uh, you know, your semi-automatic has to have a compensator on it. So everything is just louder than it needs to be. I thought that was really cool. You have a law that says you have to have a compensator on a semi? We can't have a we can't have a flash hider, so you have to have a muzzle device. I mean, if you have a muzzle device, it has to be a comp. Oh, I see. Okay, so in other words, you since you can't have just a regular old slant brake or something, everybody puts uh, brakes on. Yeah, you you put some kind of muzzle brake on. Uh, I, I like the what do you call those things? The ones that divert the sound downrange. Uh, that is good for what I do because we're introducing new shooters and it's usually the concussion that freaks them out. So if we can have the diverter just shooting the sound downrange, that that's another cool thing because those comps, man, especially when you're instructing people and you're standing beside them, it just makes for a long range day. So most innovative target Clover. So, you know, there was, there's a guy who's real big into, and this ties into the shot shell thing a little bit. There was a guy uh, here uh, years ago, and uh, we used to go out to uh, his range with the with the kiddos and stuff. Uh, 
just as kind of like a, a field trip day, fun day usually, but he had all kinds of stuff set up. And one of the things that he had um, that I thought was really neat, we'll talk, well, we'll talk about too, because honestly, probably everything he did, he did himself, right? He built himself. But one of them was a series of plates that was one in front of another. And they got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller as you oh, went down. Those. So instead but, of looking at the plate sideways, they're all in a row, and it's big, little, 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 little until it's like yeah, the size of it's like every one you knock down, the next one is smaller. And smaller maybe they smaller. did that on Top Shot or something. I know I've seen somebody shoot those. And so it was. Things. It's a speed thing, but you know, you get down to where it's like you know a one inch. And when you're 10, 15 yards away, 25 yards away, whatever you're talking about with a handgun, one inch at that kind of distance is tough, right? Yeah, because they they get farther away as they get smaller with each shot. Yeah, but you can't, you know, you can't shoot one until you get the other. So that was kind of cool. The next was, um, is the, oh, I got to throw in the Texas Star. Texas Stars are awesome. Been around forever, but they're awesome. But anyway, uh, the next one was a series of, three that this guy had um so same target design he just had three and of course six shots in a you know cowboy six shooter right um and so you take your 45 44 357 whatever it was and you load uh regular round shot shell regular round shot shell regular round shot shell right and you would hit what was almost like a almost like a pepper popper it was a it was a, maybe a six inch or so round plate on a stem. You would shoot it. It would drop and throw a clay in the air, right? It would drop, which would yep. then kind of like catapult a clay in the air. And your next shot on your revolver is shot shell, right? So it's like, you know, single projectile, throw it in there, shot shell. And then you hit the other one, single projectile, shot shell, single projectile, shot shell with the revolver. And uh, I, that was a whole lot of fun. Oh, that definitely sounds like fun. Yeah, when you go to matches, one of the fun things about going to a match is, well, at a place where they have the facilities and the ingenuity to do stuff like that, where the results of hitting one target triggers the next one, sort of of like, you know, it'll make a piece of wood fall out of the way, and then that pulls something, and now, like you're saying, a, a second thing. Now, that was the same target, though. Like, once the one piece fell it just seesawed up and through the thing. It wasn't like a, what I call it, like a trip line that launched, uh, started another target, throw in the other one. I guess it doesn't matter. No, I mean, because it was alternated, right? So, yeah, it was a single thing that was, you know, one shot made the target fall, which then caused it to throw clay in the air, and then you shot it, and then you had to move to another target after that, yeah. Because the guy... The idea was to, um, you know, you're you're shooting at a static target. So I mean, could you rig something that made another target pop up or something? Or, I mean, maybe. Well, that's what we do all the time. Like with a popper, you'll have a popper fall. That's just like a big piece of metal, and when you hit it with enough energy, so you have to hit it in the right place, and you have to hit it with you know enough whatever energy in the round that it's going to fall over. Now a big piece of steel is falling over. So there's energy there, right? So that's where people will 
sometimes put a piece of wood that's like a snare that's hold, like a you know something that when that big piece of metal falls it, it snaps something into place that makes the next thing happen so there's sometimes a delay there and anyway then there's another thing in some of the matches at least out here i'm sure this is everywhere but you step on like a pressure plate type of thing and then that will instigate you know, trigger something to happen and there's this one where it's like a cardboard target and it'll turn sideways to you like edgewise so you can't shoot it and then i forget how it works like something falls and as it falls it kind of twists and then it twists again so the target is edgewise to you and then it faces you and then it goes back to edgewise and it's basically a five pound weight falling which creates that you know that those three situations and that kind of stuff can be pretty clever and so going to matches you end up especially if you go to matches, if you're able to go to matches away from your ranges, like go to other ranges, because other ranges mean they have other resources and other clever people and other ways of yeah. setting up phase and, yeah. and, and, and scenarios and stuff. So you get to see all kinds of neat stuff. Now, or you can, I guess, watch videos of people showing that kind of stuff. Now, uh, another place, I mean, picture, picture I'm going to say a building the size of a high school gym, gymnasium. Uh, but this was this deals like a with big concrete building or like a big non well know, that size a metal a metal building but that size right well I'm saying um, like where they would have a big size. concrete operation like the indoors part of a quarry just like a big metal building yeah pretty big pretty big building right um, but um, you know too when we talk, start thinking of just about cool you know cool setups you know or whatever um, there was a range about an hour from here archery uh, range about an hour from here. Um, and they had two things that were really cool. They had their static targets, of course, where you set up paper. And then they had their outdoor 3D target course with the animals and stuff like that. Um, but they had two things uh, in indoors that was that was awesome. One was a a 3D course that moved. So you um, basically got on the the firing line, and all of the 3D targets of the animals were on tracks and hydraulics. So like the bobcat would run across the top of the hill or the deer would run across the top of the open area or the deer would be consistent. It wasn't like somebody dragging with a rope or something and it was bouncing all around. No, it was all on tracks or on some type of hydraulic, right? That raised it so it was more smooth. Now you didn't Um, move them. So you'd stand there like a shooting gallery and something would happen, then something else would happen. Or was it like a five, what is it? The the kind where you take the shotgun and you walk to the next stage and then the no, next you stage did not know what was going to happen um, because you well you well, you could so it could be controlled manually right it was a switchboard type thing there so it could be controlled manually or you could just set it to like random uh, like if you were there by yourself just set it to random and walk out there and get on the the firing line right um, but you could do it a bunch of different ways, but yeah, like the mountain lions would come up behind the rock. And I mean, it's just all kinds of crazy things. Um, now the you other hit it thing, with an arrow and it would just stay in there and go back to wherever it went. Like, yeah, the know. arrow would stay in there and you would have to shut everything down. And of course, walk out there, and, you know, and get your, get your arrow, collect your arrows back. Cause it was just, there was nothing so special. On, you didn't have to stop each time is what I'm saying. Like you right. would come yeah. out and go away, keep your arrow. You just go afterwards and collect all your arrows. Yeah. Out. Once you're out of arrows, you'd have to go collect them. Sure. Um, and then the other thing they had was they had a virtual and it was really, I thought this was really weird cause they were running it on a, on a computer with windows 95. So I'm like, it's not like it took that much to run it, but it was this big, huge screen. Um, this screen was probably, I'm going to say, 
easily 16 foot by 10 foot or so. Um, and it was 25 yards away. Um, was it? Yeah, it was about 25 yards away distance wise. Um, and you could program all these weird scenarios. Now you had to change the tips on your arrows to these, um, they were the same, they were the same weight. Um, cause they would ask you what weight your tips were. Right. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm running hundred grain. And so they were, they would give you them to replace the tips on your arrows and you had to turn them back in, or you could buy some if you wanted to, but they, they, they would give you some or loan you some, uh, if you didn't want to buy them. So anyway, but they were flat, right. They were blunt. Um, and then, um, almost like a, I don't even know how to explain it, but anyway, they were, they were blunt. Yeah, not just blunt, but they were also bigger, right? So like a like a door pull, like a handle on a drawer, like a drawer yeah. pull almost, right? That's flat. Because you're shooting it at a big screen or yeah. something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just so it doesn't pierce the screen. And the screen obviously is pretty, pretty stout anyway. But then they would uh, go over there and hit the hit the program on the little Windows 95 computer. And it would have all kinds of things uh, come across the screen and do things from animals or whatever. Um and it was it was pretty cool and it would record your shots and if you hit it would it would actually show the the animal fall um it was it was cool if you like wounded like you hit one in like the hind quarters like a deer in the hind quarter right it would show the animal drop and it would try to get back up and it was it was super interactive i'm like this is freaking cool we spent a lot of time this down at that range like animated things or this was videos it was it was video. It was like real, and it wasn't like animated, like cartoonish, so like a video like game. A whole bunch of video of hunting, and then would play the clip for the appropriate circumstance or like result. I guess it's kind of like a um, choose your own adventure, and it would play the next video clip. I guess so, but I mean, they were using, um, you know, I said it was. It was obviously it was designed and could run on a Windows ninety five PC, but you know, some of the video games even back in the day. Uh, you know, had some live animation. It wasn't the best resolutions, you know what I mean, and that kind of thing. It was being shown I have on done a big that screen, before, so. and it was like uh, you could set it to deer or something, and then you could also set it to like dinosaur. And I don't think they had zombie because this was a long time ago. But right. I have been to one of those. You basically just shot at a giant bed sheet, and it was back then. It was more like a projection TV type of thing. So the resolution was what you would expect when you're shining right. a light at a bed sheet, but. It's interesting, and it was better than shooting, like Smeggy saying, better than shooting that straw or whatever. With the- yeah, this this it knew by where the projectile hit on the screen, according to what was playing on the screen, where the hit landed, and you know, like I said, it was it, it was very cool. Well, back in I don't even remember anymore. A long, 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 long time ago, man, I don't want to say maybe it had to be at sands it was downstairs at sands so sometime between 10 and now uh at shot show there was a place downstairs that um their deal was they had a uh a thing you would put you'd put any laser in the barrel at all and back then there wasn't a lot of options but you could get a laser sighting a laser sight boresighter type of thing where you would put a little cartridge in place of a round and then every time you pulled the trigger it would zap a light and then you could put any brand of that in there something that accomplished that and then any pistol you wanted that you could reset and pull the trigger again right or some of the pistols that have you know anyway as long as you could, you could use any equipment as long as it shot a laser dot 
And then the equipment that you bought from this place was the software. And I don't even know if they you needed to buy their webcam even. If it just used, it must have been, most webcams can't see. I don't know, that's what webcams do, huh? So it was, must have maybe just used any webcam and then you needed to buy their projector or not even that. But anyway, it was pretty low frills. And anyway, the best part about it, it was one of these scenario type of things where it would project a scenario and then the webcam would watch for your laser. So you would do whatever and then, you know, it would be able to score. This is where your hits went kind of thing. And then you would watch the video again and it would show you where your hits went in real time. So you could use it as some sort of a training aid or something or a game or something. But what the cool part I thought, and this was years ago, is you put your own video in there. So you could walk around your own area. You could, like for us, I was thinking about using the shop. You know, you could have the shop itself and make videos and scenarios and stuff and then put your own videos in there. And then the software just basically does the job of mapping, watching and then mapping where the lasers go. And that was years ago. So I'm thinking that yeah. now with all the effort people put into these things, it's probably since leaps and bounds from that for these virtual trainers and stuff. So I've got a um, talk to them last week or week before last. And unfortunately the little mount they've got, is not working out. So they're going to get me another one, but there's a company that actually has some mounting apparatus for cell phones, right? For smartphones that mount to your firearms. Uh, they've got one that's a, a mount for a pistol, one for a mount for like a pick rail, and then one that's a mount that'll mount like onto a, a scope. Um, so you don't have to take your scope off. And this thing is cool. You can go in and it has, you mount that on and you're actually looking at your phone while you're aiming. And then of course you need uh, some way to cycle the action or you're going to have to cycle it manually. But if you were using like an AR-15 platform, you could get something like the Manus Blackbeard, right? Uh, there's also for like Glocks and things, you've got the dry fire mags, right? Um, so anyway, it picks up all, off all of that stuff to record the shots, right? So you calibrate this, you get it all in. You can have still challenge stages. It's got IDPA stages pre-programmed. It's got uh, the ability to create your own range on there. That's because um, you're looking through the smartphone, so it's like VR? Yeah, you're looking at the smartphone. Yeah, you're not looking through it, but you're looking at the smartphone. Well, yeah. so then you could put that on a giant screen TV and be... It absolutely it. has the ability to to hook it up to a TV, yes. Yeah. Yes. Or a projector, I guess. Yeah. Yep. And then it's paying attention through some gyroscopes and GPS or whatever where your gun is pointed... Yep. As opposed to a camera looking for the laser out there. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So like Tony I said, I, I look forward to, to testing and playing around with that some more in the future. Unfortunately, like I said, they had some issues with the, I got one of the earlier prototype things and they, they, they're having some issues with them holding the phones properly. And so uh, we're, they're trying to get that lined out and I will uh, hopefully have that in the next few weeks or so. I'll have, something to want them to, to actually play with. I'm looking forward to it. I wanted to get to that second question just because I want to leave people. We're going to end up going to 90 minutes or whatever, but I wanted to leave people <laughs> with, with some DIY stuff, right? Give them some clever stuff because I'm sure we've all been shooting our whole lives. Uh, we can give them some, some clever ideas. So now I'm going to bump it up to two DIY target things. But I was going to ask Tony before that, since Clover kind of elaborated on this, um, 
target enhancement as I don't know what to call it because it's more than virtual. It's like, you know, not quite a, uh, an electronic shooting thing. Like these things are all going, I guess I was going to ask Tony, have you looked at or been approached by anybody about these virtual systems or are there things like virtual things? I don't know if they have them at gun for hire. I haven't, I haven't remembered him talking about anything like that, but is that a, an element in New Jersey? And then like, or, is you looked at it for the diversity shoots at all? Well, I haven't found any in Jersey uh, because I've, I've hosted my events at, I think we're up to four, four different ranges I've hosted at in Jersey. And no one had the VR that I know about or the laser thing. But at the Heritage Hill in Easton, they have a room set up that the whole back wall of the room is a giant oh, okay. flat screen television. That was the one and, in the last time. Yep, that was the one in PA. And um, they have their uh, blowback uh, airsoft guns or something, or it has, uh, it has uh, lasers in it. Sorry, lasers in it, but it's blowback. So when you pull the trigger, the slide moves back and forth like a real handgun. I think, uh, if I remember right, there were P226s. Uh, that's what they had there. So and they I think, feel kind of more like a regular gun than a toy or something. Yeah, and they're metal. So so it's weighted also. So it definitely feels like the real thing, a stock real thing. And uh, they have everything set up that you can just punch. You want to shoot bowling pins. Uh, you can shoot IDPA targets. Um, they also have things set in the desert that you can shoot those and they pop up. Some are more cartoonish, some are more realistic. But that's a fun thing they had. And they told me I could get my people to... Uh, do those too if they wanted to and i've never taken them up on it because again i'm busy hosting my event and i can't be in two places at one time um and their guys are actually volunteering when we host our event to stay over and work overtime that particular night so i never really asked them to have someone set that up so okay. they have it i just haven't used it everything it's just that it would be like So I never really asked them to have someone step that up. Oh, wait a minute. I think I just did this. So they have it. I just haven't used it. I think it's just that it would be like Oops, sorry about that. I'm like, okay, Tony, thanks for saying that again. And then I realized that I opened the, the video. So sorry about that. Tony didn't really just say that twice. Um, wait, what happened to Tony? There he is. Did I knock him out? Sorry about that. Um, yeah. Okay, so I get it. So in other words, they have this, the facilities there, but since you're already kind of on their graces for staying open and offering you the facilities, you didn't want to like go, hey, guess what else we'd like? <laughs> yeah, I really, <laughs> I'm trying to be a good guest and I want them to look at it as a positive thing, not, oh my goodness, now we have to have yet another person and I have to split my time between the actual, I guess, real range and then the laser stack, I just, that's a lot to do. <laughs> but as far as just uh, not applying it to their scenario or to like existing shoots, is it something that you think has any legs to like have a separate thing or would it just be a waste of time, like an extra step where it's not necessary? Cause you've got probably plenty of experience taking people from timid to trigger pullers, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just, you know, dive right in, you know, just, just jump in the pool. Uh, I don't think it was necessary for that, but I think it would be great for introducing people to the shooting sports, transitioning from one target to the next, um, becoming used to something more challenging than just poking holes in paper. 
and and if you make it fun, people want to do it, regardless of who that person is. That makes me think that it would be cool. I don't know if Clover's back or not, but it would be neat to see one of these laser scenario, not laser, yeah, laser uh, scenario based type of situations where we're talking some kind of a projector on a screen with you walking around in three dimensions, not a virtual thing, but, you know, everybody can see what's happening. So everybody gets feedback. So it's kind of a social thing. You know, people are throwing axes at walls and stuff now because it's a social thing. But mm -hmm. like, you know, you have this scenario, but then the the point would be to bring people together who are gun people and have one scenario where it's uh I don't know if there's a way to do it in any order but have one scenario where there's like a self defense type of scenario or actually do it this way have one scenario where it's like a, a calibration just marksmanship you know just have plain old targets out there circular bullseye targets and you shoot a couple of rounds like that maybe a magazine then the next one is a competition match like a uh, um, uh, some kind of, you know, IPSC IDPA steel challenge, maybe they, they get a random match. So now somebody who's never done anything besides target shooting sees what a match is kind of like doing a virtual one. And then you have a, a self-defense scenario, you know, like, oh, you're in a parking lot at night and something bad happens, or, you know, ATM or something, something bad happens or whatever. And then have a hunting scenario where, you know, you're just hunting something, uh, something that most people aren't going to be upset about, maybe birds or uh, uh, like a deer or something. And then just to give people a taste of the other elements of shooting that they may have never experienced before. And that way it's kind of clean and easy to let people experience a couple of different types of shooting. I don't think I'm missing a major type of shooting there, but I'm just wondering if that would be neat just for shooters, somebody who's all into competition shooting, how often do they get a taste of, um hunting or, or just plain old yeah. uh, marksmanship like not too many people really go to the range when, unless they're sighting something in <laughs> actually i mean what you said is a pretty good idea it's just you know yet another day um i'd have to be able to pull to have something like that but it's easier to host um you, you don't have to worry about anyone hurting themselves you get people to you know of all ages or would that be inappropriate maybe to do what I was going to say all ages or at least younger, maybe two <laughs> young people would look at you funny, but all ages because of the safety issue, you wouldn't have to worry about nothing. Yeah, all ages oh, and a lot of shooters have only been to square ranges to poke holes in paper. And then no, all of a sudden you've introduced right. them to, like you said, competition yeah, shooting yeah. with like zero buy-in. <laughs> Can't beat it. Yeah, no, that's the thing. Yeah, and then just even having to, in the video, having to move to the left and the right, like people don't even realize what all brain power happens. Most people don't even do that. Like most people just go to the range and they assume they're going to be able to run all around with a gun. They've never been to any kind of competition. They've even tried to run around with a gun. You know, oh, that's the best, isn't it? When everybody thinks they can beat John Wick. I don't know. I, I don't really go to enough competitions at all. I only ever go when other people are going and are like, come on, go. And I'm like, all right, I'll go. Right. Like I never made the initiative to go to one hardly unless maybe a clock match. I was kind of into going to the clock matches in different states just to see how they are because they're really different every time they have one. But otherwise, I've never really been too interested. So I guess I haven't gone to enough to experience enough new shooters. But yeah, anytime you introduce something to someone who didn't even know it was there and it's been there the whole time and once they realize that they're they can participate in it, they start to it, it unfolds in their head and they go, oh, wait a minute. This could literally be my new passion, hobby, 
recreational thing like you know what i mean like they as they start to figure all that out yeah i know exactly the like looking right i've seen that with hunting um sometimes or a couple of times i guess but i haven't been to enough competitions to see it but yeah i could totally see that being a thing definitely um so i don't know clover did you hear any of that but uh I don't know if yeah. I throw anything in on that. I was going to get to the DIY one then. So unless you want to throw something in on that, uh, where's my comment going? Is really that far back? But anyway, I had asked before, um, what about an ideas? Do you guys have any ideas over the years for creative DIY, do-it-yourself targets that people could use either at a range, outside, inside, whatever? A couple of them, a couple of them even, so that we leave everybody with uh, something they can act on next time they go shooting. I recently built a, uh, you know, I got this Brodax BB revolver uh, I've been playing and went around with, and I actually... BB revolver? So six shots? Uh, it's actually a 10 shot. But you do have to load each BB every time? No, it uses a 10 shot little rotary cartridge thing. Oh, okay. Like the old one. Like the old... I know what you're talking about. But anyway, okay. It's not like a shake, 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 and it's full again. Shake, 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 and you got six shots. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, you have to you have to actually put them in. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I just to be able to do stuff sitting in the recliner indoors, don't got to worry about the heat and other things. Uh, I got one of the, uh, what was it, a large, I think, um, box that i bought at you know one of the big box stores just a, a packing box moving box it was you know i don't know fucking a quarter um and then uh the dollar tree i think it was had a rug that was you know like a rubber backing on it um that's that's literally the dollar tree so it was a dollar and a quarter and i was able to take and i stapled that on the front of the box at the top and then I stapled it on the bottom. So I made a, uh, you know, if you look at the cross section, it's diagonal, right? Um, and it basically made a BB trap. Because, uh, I mean, the BB is not going to go through that rubber. Um, and then, you know, the only thing is you have to kind of use a stapler and replace the center section where your targets and stuff are at. Uh, so that's, you know, great option for like inside and stuff like that to, to play around with. Um, I've done some cool stuff with my grandbabies in, in the past in our hallway, uh, just using you know, things you would think about, paper plates, yarn, um, you know, um, toilet paper rolls, paper towel rolls, and things like that, putting together little little ranges for, for Nerf, right, uh, for them. So that's kind of that's kind of cool. Um, you know, as far as is outdoor and, and targets, I don't know that I've come up with anything innovative or unique or different. Uh, I've made falling plates, you know, racks that that reset uh, and things like that before. Um, you know, playing around, but you know, I'd say that you know one thing that can be fun, especially if you've got if you've got land and you've got land to shoot on. Uh, for goodness sakes, man, get you some steel targets without a doubt. Uh, some good steel targets so you don't got to worry about anything, but maybe painting them every now and then. And then um, another thing that I would highly recommend uh, is bowling pins. There's so much you can do with bowling pins. And bowling pins will take an absolute beating. 
Um, and most of your bowling alleys, uh, if you go approach them, will give you a freaking box. Um, now me, I, I think I, I give them like 10 bucks or something. <laughs> you know, I don't take them for free. Uh, even though most of them would give them to you for free. Um, you know, I think, I think it was, Giving the guy 10 bucks means that you got a guy who gives them to you for 10 bucks. Right, yeah. He's no, I, I give him ten. I give him ten bucks, right? No, that's what I'm saying. But, but otherwise, yeah. he's gonna throw it away. And if if yeah. you go to the place and ask the person spraying the shoes, hey, can I get some bowling pins? They're gonna look at you like, what's a bowling pin? But if you go to the guy you give ten bucks to on a regular basis, every time he doesn't throw them away and gives them to you, that's what I'm saying. It's like totally worth yeah. it. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Can I have free ones? Can I have free ones? Because then they're like, I don't have time. No, that we throw them all away. Yeah, and he'll they'll set set them aside for you, right? Set you a box side, knowing that you'll eventually come back in, or or maybe you tell somebody else, right? That's what's happened with me, um, is that you know I've I've told other people and they went up there because, like I said, they last forever. So a box of bowling pins will last me as much as I shoot will last me several years. I got a yeah. box of pins. If anybody needs them, they're super heavy. I don't know if they want to ship them. And I've I've used I've used actual uh this is what I found fun. Golf balls. Oh yeah. Setting the golf balls up because when you're using twenty twos, golf balls will last a while too. Um <laughs> I, I had them at uh the range out here and I was just shooting them wherever they landed in the grass, as long as you know you keep it in a safe direction, keep so, shooting at the backstop. Yeah. But but uh that becomes a problem when you have less experienced shooters. The people get caught up in it, and now they're starting to not shoot into the backstop straight. So we take them and hang them from, you know, just build a little stand and hang them from string on the stand. Yep. And you try to get them all moving and just hit them one, two, three, four, five, and just move it out until you start missing. Because what you want people people don't understand that sometimes I think they get too caught up in some stuff and it's like bro trigger time is trigger time sights and triggers lining that side up pulling it it's all practice it all makes you better uh when you apply the marksmanship fundamentals and what i did inside because that's when i lived in uh trenton when i first started uh i picked up i picked up a uh hold on a second the kids are flying by here um i picked up uh airsoft gun i had a usp uh, HK USP Airsoft from Umarex, which had the really the exact same trigger pull as the service pistol uh, the Department of Correction used. So every day I'd go downstairs with that and I'd use playing cards that I picked up from the 99 cent store. So you got a whole deck. I did 21 feet, pasted off and uh, taped it to a box and stuck a towel in the box. And with airsoft, of course, it'll puncture the box, but it'll hit the towel and stop and fall inside the box. So I didn't have these BBs rolling all over the place. Uh, that was great because it used a CO2 cartridge. And I think I got about 200 rounds per CO2 cartridge. So I would just sit downstairs until I killed the CO2 cartridge. Either do from a low ready and just put rounds into the target over and over again. Right. And that really helped me out a lot with trigger pull, side alignment. And because it was only 21 feet, it really didn't make that much of a difference with velocity. Side, uh, you know, a point of aim was point of impact. And I, I, I had a great time with that. It helped me out a lot uh, with my instruction because I videotape it and see what I was doing right, see what I was doing wrong. You'd know when you pulled it. Uh, it, it was, and it's a lot of fun. You 
when you mentioned golf balls, yeah, one one thing I did is I built a I built a little A frame type thing, and then I would take the golf balls and I would drill me a pilot hole and put me an eye hook in them, mm-hmm. uh, and hang them that way. Um, yep. And yeah, if you hit them just right, it'll wrap it around the crossbar. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, which was which was kind of cool. Like and every and even if it didn't wrap them all the way, it would raise them. You know what I mean? So it'd be in a different spot. Uh, every time that it that it hit and it wrapped, which was kind of cool. Um, and then another thing, talking about your bowling pins, another thing I did was I drilled through the neck of a bowling pin, or not the neck, but the the I guess it'd be the head, right, or whatever, um, the top of it, but not like right at the top. But I drilled horizontally, and where you could run it over a pipe, uh, a little piece of uh what is it half inch or something pipe or half inch conduit or something yeah and then when you hit them and a bowling pin you have to hit it square there's a very small portion that you'd be pretty precise to hit it square but that teaches you that precise spot and hitting that though because if you hit that if you hit those square and since i've torn you know i've shot them so much i've torn them up haven't had to build another one but if you hit it square it would spin on that pipe uh, if you hit it with, you know, anything significantly powerful, 22 is not going to do it. But, um, you know, it would spin on that pipe. So that was kind of cool. Like to take a minute and think of the sensitivity to our friend Kingpin and drilling holes at a bunch of bowling pins and shooting at him. It's a horrible scenario for him. So he uses the uh, bowling That's pin as true. his logo. All right. So, um I'm going to go cheap, and one of the things that I guess uh, depends on is if you're shooting on your own property or at a garbage dump. Back here or out here, there's garbage dumps we can shoot. Well, back in the day, we could shoot at. So at a garbage dump, my favorite things to shoot are ceramics, so toilets and ceramic tiles and stuff, broken ceramic tiles and busted toilets. You know, the first couple of times you shoot them, they fall apart. That's always fun, especially for new shooters. People love to see things fall apart when, you know, react but when you can react by things you know changing that's super fun um as you shoot anything porcelain or ceramic it just falls apart into more and more sand so you get smaller and smaller targets so you shoot with your guns and then you shoot with your rifles that's you know targets that are the size of your hands now you're shooting at targets the size of postage stamps with your 22 and eventually you could even shoot with bb guns and stuff so you could literally go out all day shoot all your stuff at smaller and smaller chunks of ceramic and you know depending on where you're shooting they're often like white or yellow or something against a black background or a uh you know the some other you know contrasting background or whatever so those are fun i was gonna say um there's so many uh fun ones but uh things that you can like the balloon kind of concept things that you can set up inside of or behind concealment but not cover right so your target has um something that has to be hit but you can't necessarily see it so sometimes setting up a t-shirt or something can be effective um or some of the using boxes instead of two-dimensional stuff using three-dimensional stuff and then uh sometimes as simple as for actual training for realistic stuff we would take two trees or something maybe and tie a clothesline across them and then hang your targets off of hangers or something now they're never standing still at all and that's a lot more difficult and a lot more realistic um and that's pretty cheap you know just 
some string and some hangers and tape or whatever. And yeah, then something. Oh, to the bowling ball, if you throw, if you have the opportunity at a berm or some hill, you can throw the bowling balls at right where the, you know, where the curve is, the transition. And then you can again spend all day shooting the bottom of the bowling ball. It's going to go up the hill a little bit and come back down. You've got the right kind of situation. You can kind of have them in a little area that they're kind of rocking back and forth as you're shooting them. And they kind of like self-resetting targets all day long until eventually you'll beat them up. But remember to pick up all that stuff, stuff, all that stuff's plastic and stuff too. That's one of the reasons I don't like shooting bowling pins out anymore. You shoot a few, few times and all that wood falls out of them. But then after a while, once they start to get shredded, it, they're just it's too hard to pick up all that plastic and stuff. One of the things we used was clays, shotgun clays. Oh yeah. That's always fun too. Yeah. Um, because it's inexpensive. It can go out there. It gets crushed into the dirt and just becomes more dirt. But uh, can, we did that a lot. And those hang, <laughs> those hang pretty easy with the with those thumb, not the flat thumbtacks, but the thumbtacks that stick out. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all you need is a you know dollar store box of thumbtacks and a box of clays, and you're good to go. All right. Well, I yeah. got complicated. Those things are made out of asphalt and clay, so they do fall apart, but they're probably put into asphalt. So out here, we ask people not to shoot them ever because they're basically, they'll pepper them, you know, you just, you hit them, they disappear, but they're slowly creating blacktop, right? They're slowly creating asphalt areas where we shoot. And that basically the worst part about it is it leaves a scar that anti-gunners see and get all pissed at, which is the optics of that is, you know, some people go, oh, big deal, we're only blah, blah, but guess what? You don't own it. Like a lot of people own that shared land. So if it's on your own property, do what you want, obviously. But out here, we don't have that situation. In Arizona, most of this land is public, and that's one of our issues. So the the alternate is buy the stuff that's pressed something, and it's biodegradable and isn't made out of asphalt. And it's, you know, double the price or something, but just I got to feel out there. What I've seen is not most... In fact, the vast majority of them that are produced nowadays, it seems like, are biodegradable. Good. Yeah, okay. that's the ones we have. Yeah. I mean, I've, that's that's I've, the only ones I even we pick up. I just never even thought about it. It was just that's what they had for sale, so that's what we use, and it was all biodegradable. Yeah. Okay. Well, then hopefully that was old ass FUD warning then. So hopefully that's don't take it. Don't take much wet or rain, and they just they turn into a mush. Okay, well then that's just wasting everybody's time. So then, uh, anybody else want to throw in um, anything for DIYs? Targets. Well, C and T out there had one about taking a um, Beer drilling bomb? drilling some holes. Uh, no, he was talking about uh, drilling some holes in a uh, in like a T shaped whatever thing and setting golf balls in it, and then you shoot them out so when he when he mentioned that it makes me think i don't know if anybody's seen this diy i've never done it but it looks very very fun and it involves clays which is what we were talking about earlier so typically a clay is going to be a different color on either side an orange and then black on the the bottom Mm -hmm. side or whatever um and so people would make uh connect four boards that you shoot and so you turn the colors you turn the clay a different way, so you would have black colors and orange colors, um, and 
you take turns shooting it out to to make a connect four so um yeah when he was mentioning the golf ball thing i was like yeah you could also do one even with uh, the golf ball thing i could i could see where you could use like a larger piece of pipe and then cut a hole in the bottom of it just like just the size of a golf ball uh, and then just fill it full of golf balls. And then as you shoot one, another one will drop. You know what I mean? <laughs> that sounds fun. Well, if you did a thing where there's a tube of golf balls and you're shooting the bottom one out all the time, I guess mm -hmm. that wouldn't be as fun as shooting out them in the middle or whatever. Uh, I don't remember anything like that at Top Shot to go off of, so I'd be starting from scratch and coming up with something. I was thinking more like having rods come down and the golf balls are just guided by the rods, and if they were small enough, you might be able to shoot the balls out you know, as, they, as they're stacked. Uh, I don't know how to describe it. You know, Four rods coming up from the piece of wood at the bottom, and the golf balls are just uh, stacking themselves between those four rods. I don't know. I'm not describing it well. Um, but the Connect Four with uh, shotgun clays, I've seen that also. Uh, use a twenty-two though, not a shotgun shell. Right. Mm -hmm. Obviously. Or, or something, maybe. Yeah. All right. Well, we're just over 90 minutes, and since I am trying to shove these things out to podcasts, I can't make it too long. Otherwise, I have to degrade the video or the audio quite a bit to do that. So um, I'm going to throw a lightning round out there just to wrap it up. But before I do, anything you guys want to mention that we might have missed or glossed over or ran past as we were going here? I don't think so. Okay. Uh, I, what I want to say is just have fun, man. Uh, oh, yeah. Do some stuff to have fun to get out and pull triggers. Everything doesn't have to be a home defense setup or something that has tactical application. Trigger time is trigger time. Yep. That's a good point. And then you drive everybody nuts if that's all you ever go to right or bring up all the time so the question is muzzle devices which we mentioned it earlier um i shouldn't have, i don't know why i put muzzle devices in there i should have said muzzle brakes so not devices that could be anything but brakes specifically since we kind of mentioned that uh they don't want you to have uh, uh flash suppressors which is a prong type of thing which physically diverts the flash of a round so the idea is instead of having a big fireball, the spent or the the burning gases that come out of the muzzle on a military rifle might be an indicator, a visual indicator of your position or you know whatever you're doing, or they might well that's mainly the thing. So they basically put these prongs that look like tuning forks out there, and they divert those gases so that the fireball is broken into four fireballs and they're faster, they disperse faster, and they're brighter in one direction, but they almost, you know, they're kind of dissipated in the other directions, if that was a clear description of it. They're not ideal, and they're just a thing. Nobody even likes them necessarily or doesn't like them, but for some reason, politicians glitched on them, and they make all kinds of laws about it. So it sounds like in New Jersey, for whatever reason, that specific muzzle device is, what, restricted, but so you guys have a lot of muzzle brakes and that's what I was going to end this thing. I'll shut up after describing a muzzle brake takes your 
expanding gases and intentionally diverts them in a direction, either usually to the side or sometimes forward. So with that, I'll let you guys have your last words on muzzle brakes. Yeah, in Jersey, they just wanted to create uh, more of a problem. I read, I read the transcripts of the bald-faced lies that the uh, head of New Jersey State Police put out there uh, about it. Oh, we can't find the person if they're using a, 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 a flash hider. If someone's shooting at police officers at night, we'll never be able to find these people because it, it, it hides the flash. And I'm like, I didn't know how he was allowed to tell a lie like that and get away with it. And the way they do it is they come up and testify, tell their lie, and then leave. And you had to wait till everybody else, you know, because they put anti-gun people up first and there'd be like five of them and they'd get three minutes to speak each. They'd all tell their lies, but the officials would tell the biggest ball face lie and then leave. And by the time they got to people that actually knew about firearms, that conversation was 18 people and a half an hour ago. So you showing up to kind of do a recall of the lies that were told, it's just the time has passed. So that's how they got away with it. So now in Jersey, uh, the muzzle device, <clears throat> be it a comp, be it whatever, as long as it's not a flash hider, regardless of the length of the barrel on the semi-automatic firearm, the muzzle device has to be pinned and welded on the firearm as if everything is 14 and a half inches. You know what I mean? So that's what happens here. That's what we deal with. Um, and you have a louder muzzle device. So when you're trying to introduce someone to firearms at an indoor range, it's louder and more concussive than it has to be. But they don't care because what they're trying to do is kill the culture. Yeah. And, and we just deal with it here. Uh, this is just another cross we have to bear. Uh, we have to cut the bayonet lug off. We have to get it pinned and welded. Uh, like we have to what's up? Like an arbitrary like <laughs> thing you have to deal with that just makes no sense. But now, yeah. so let me ask though, as far as brakes then, with that ability to have experience or whatever, obviously you can see anything you want, but like owning whatever and then what, you know, having some having to have fewer options. You got any preferences or any opinions on brakes? Specifically, brakes versus like other types of devices, or none at all? Uh, it's it's really not at all. Uh, my very first one was uh, a Chinese whatever from Amazon with the three large holes drilled, uh, cut in the side uh, of the brake, and like three small ones on the top and the bottom. That's what I used. It was really loud. I mean, obnoxiously loud. But it worked. Uh, didn't affect the accuracy of the firearm at all. Uh, that was cool. And then when I tried to build my M16A4 clone, I had to get rid of the bird cage. And I picked up from BCM uh, uh, A2 Comp, I think that's what they call it, which looks just like a bird cage, except the end of it, uh, the muzzle end, is still 223556 in diameter. So it's almost as if they put a I don't know. They they just brought the size of it down on the end. And all of a sudden it's the same thing, but legal now. But it cost me like sixty-five, eighty-five or sixty-five dollars, I can't remember which one, to have that put on. And I also had to cut the bayonet luck off. So I was a little heated because I'm trying to build a clone and now I have to make a clone, but with Jersey 
uh, within the Jersey arbitrary rules. So put on whatever you want. It is what it is. Um, you got to follow the rules if you're going to be at a public range because there's already always eight uh, junior ATF people at the range. You know, the gun owners that just want to be the hall monitor of everyone. Uh, you realize, like, actually, your, your muzzle devices are legal. Shut up. Go back over and shoot your gun, dude. Leave me alone. But that's just follow the rules if you don't want the problems. If you want to fight it, get involved in political, you know, activism. Don't try to be the dude at the range that takes the hit and gets thrown off the range or whatever other stupid stuff that happens here because it's, again, arbitrary political rules. Well, that would be another discussion, but a worthy discussion to debate whether those are arbitrary rules with like a larger arc, right? Like a bigger intent, the, the mm -hmm. nibble or the slippery slope suggestion, or if they're just literally ignorance and flailing of like people with too much, uh, you know, uh, power with their irresponsible ideas or whatever. But again, that would be another topic. We'll do it. Anytime you want to do that one, we can do that kind of chat, but let's keep this one going. Clover, breaks. So I don't know why anybody would want a flash hider. Makes absolutely zero sense to me. Um, so, you know, I'm going to side with all the stupid politicians and say that it, it apparently a flash hider, you know, and bayonet lugs too. I mean, come on. That's like super dangerous things. And if somebody has one of those, then, I mean, they're going to, probably walk into a crowded shopping mall and create havoc or something right because like, like what's the point why, why would you why would you need something like that um obviously i'm being facetious with that but th there is some truth in that i don't understand a flash hider um and so if i'm going to use a muzzle device um it needs a purpose other than dispersing a flash because i could care freaking less about a dispersing a flash <laughs> um let's direct some sound let's direct some recoil let's you know um uh, those sorts of things, uh, maybe cut down on muzzle rise or, you know, whatever the case may be, keep, you know, dirt from laying in prone, uh, you know, have a muzzle, muzzle device design that's going to, to mitigate the amount of dirt that gets kicked up in front of me, that sort of thing. Uh, but yeah, it just shows the silliness with these politicians to fixate on, on stupid things. That's like, like that makes any difference to the guy that wants to go in and create mass murder in a, in a grocery store you know what i mean whether or not he's got a flash hider or a bayonet lugs like well, come on come on I, they just created just another obstacle for the regular gun owner and i'm not talking about yeah. the gun guy i'm just talking like joe joe smith wants to buy an ar-15 well now he has to purchase a jersey compliant ar or he has to purchase his ar and then have his ffl or gunsmith make it jersey legal so it's just another barrier to ownership that's what that comes down to. Yep, exactly. Performance-wise, though, Clover, or, um, well, I guess mainly performance-wise, or? So, as far as precision target work, I do not like a muzzle device for precision target work. I prefer a really good target crown, and I feel like, again, it was kind of like we were talking about earlier with minor differences between I the brakes are a perfect crown. Oh, no, that would be a suppressor is a perfect crown. With the with the model sixty and the and the ten twenty two, I mean, we're talking about minor differences. You would really have to be on a bench shooting some 
sure enough precision stuff probably to, to tell the difference. But I, I do see differences with a good target crown versus, you know, with no muzzle device in a good target crown versus um, something with a muzzle device. Back in the day, you had nothing. You just had a crown, which means making a really nice concentric edge at the end where your barrel opens up into your muzzle or whatever, like that crown there is that edge. And you want that to be perfect because that would be like the last kiss that the, the projectile gets as it leaves the barrel. So if, if it's getting its last kiss and the uh, gases come out really heavy on the left and barely on the right, it's going to start to wobble your projectile right you want it to be a just perfect push from 360 degrees a nice like smoke ring of pressure coming out from behind there that's what a crown gives you that's great but i don't think you i think you still have a crown in a in a break it's just it's just in there and it's super protected the, the main issue with a crown is like you'll recess a crown right so that it's not the thing at the end of your barrel anymore now it's in a little bit so if your barrel hits the ground the edge of the barrel gets the damage and your well, so the gases with a muzzle device the gases aren't escaping the same way that they would from a uh, a perfectly symmetrical target with the crown but with the brake they they leave but then they immediately get turbulent they turn into turbulence and they start getting pushed around and forced right which is a whole other set of issues right no that's the whole thing and that's why people put brakes on there so you have a 50 bmg a massive, massive projectile flying out of there in a big twist and speed and force and all that. you got a lot of gases expanding, like a lot of them. Think how big a 50 BMG is. All those gases, they come out, and I don't know which way a BMG turns. I'm going to assume it turns clockwise. I don't even know. But if it turns clockwise, they'll put their brakes to turn clock counterclockwise, right, so that it, you know, brakes do that kind of stuff. Like they divert gases with big fins basically so that yeah all that torque instead of going back into you the human just goes into the machine into the metal and the you know, machine just takes all that energy right and the gases just get forced right kind of equal and opposite reaction to each other so brakes can be super good for i thought they were good right. practice also but they can be super good for just allowing you to shoot a massive round if you're shooting distance or something like that like you know, they allow it's sort of like a compensate. Oh, yeah, because there's also compensating, which is dropping a whole bunch of holes out the top. Right. Right. And that's what I was going to say is basically brakes sort of came along. I don't know, somewhere in there, probably people that were trying to divert the gases for their. So they're not giving up their location. Right. For when it matters, hunters will worry about that. Obviously, military and police applications, perhaps. Um, but then uh brakes will divert a lot of that gas so you're not making a big you know burst of grass and trees and stuff don't blow all over in front of you but then uh they started coming up with comps which are series of holes and the boss was one of the first ones wasn't it where it looks like somebody got drunk and started drilling the front of your barrel with a drill press or something and they're sort of hybrids between brakes and well, I don't know if the compensator is the same as a brake. A compensator allows the gases to open up into a chamber and slowly escape, where a brake is trying to divert the gases and torque your gun. Is that the difference? I guess it's got into a longer one. There. Well, a compensator is... I always thought that a compensator was compensating for things like muzzle rise. 
recoil, right? Because they'll take yeah, all those recoil, and yeah. hold them and push in a direction where break. I guess it's doing the same thing. The break is breaking up. It's disrupting the flow. Is what the break is doing, right? And yeah. then the, mm-hmm. the and break- the compensator is is disrupting the flow in a fashion that serves a purpose. And now, as far as decibels, the suppre- the flash hider doesn't do anything. It just makes it literally just throws the fireball to the side instead of out front and the fireball still exists and that's just you know if you don't want to be identified at night um as you know a little bit different from the side like you still have fireball it's just that it moves it but But sound with a flash hider but even with a flash hider there's there's like a three prong for example you know um when you torque that flash hider on i mean especially if you're going to be shooting prone it's optimal to put the the put one prong down right two prongs up at at 10 and 2 or whatever um because if you don't if you put the two down at what what would it be 7 and 5 or whatever the heck um then you've got it's that gap at the empty. bottom and if you're shooting prone it's blowing stuff straight down into the dirt and right up back into your face so and enhancing your recoil against you it's like not helping you against your right. recoil enhancing right. your recoil it's horrible right. yeah and yeah, yeah that when, but that's like a, again flash hiders are kind of just pointless they were just a, a thing for, and they also protect the muzzle a little or the the crown a little bit this is true but as far as noise they don't do anything the brakes though they take all the noise that normally goes in front of us because many people aren't getting shot at. And even if you are getting shot at, it's usually from a far away away. So you don't really hear the amount of noise that comes out the front of a barrel, but that's where all the noise is going straight out the front of the barrel. A brake takes all that stuff and shoves it out the side. Well, some of that stuff makes noise. So if you're sitting next to somebody with a brake, you know why we're talking about this. Like oh, yeah. they oh, are annoying because they blow all that smoke and noise at you where oh. compensate. <laughs> so much they they allow the gases to expand a bit and then divert them trying to help you with mitigating recoil so they end up again not really diverting noise so much a brake is like open pipes and a compensator is like a muffler right like you the brake is going through or is, is very little uh cha- you know it's only diverting the gases from one hole to t- three holes where a compensator is diverting it from one hole into a chamber and then into like a dozen holes. So it's a, you know, the difference in the sound is crazy. Um, I'll just throw in there that flash suppressors, because of the way they look, sometimes and oftentimes the aftermarket ones where nobody really paid attention will definitely sound like tuning forks. And that's oh, yeah. weird. And it's weird to have a gun go, hmm. Kind of, I can't make the exact noise, but you know, it basically sounds like a tuning fork for a while after you shot it, and that's all kind if of. If you ever have somebody have uh, one of the Vietnam uh, three prongs at the range, because a lot of people are doing the old school rebuilds now or old school uh, retro builds, you will hear it, and it definitely sounds like a tuning fork every shot. Really annoying. <laughs> and then everybody else is going. No, I'm never getting one of them. <laughs> so I don't know if that was useful or not. It definitely added a little bit of time. This made it a two-hour show, but you, know, you get two hours for an hour for nothing. If you only paid for one hour, you get an extra hour for nothing. But I don't have to pay these guys. I only pay them for the one hour, so it works out ideal for our channel. Um, <laughs> we had a, cha- a poll going out there. We got 25 votes in it. Where do you learn the most about guns? Gun shops, gun shows, the shooting range, or the internet gun community? I don't know if you guys are seeing it or if you looked, but which do you what would you guys vote for a 
those four gun shops gun shows the shooting range or the internet gun community i mean truthfully now at this point internet gun community because i'm in it more i'm on it more uh and that's between social media what was that I guess I'm interrupting you, but I think that we can all, we can admit that we've learned more off the internet now than we had as kids. But back in the oh, day, yeah. I think it was a balance at some point. Yeah, now only because of the amount of time I spend online doing what I do. But yeah, my my the groundwork was laid in actually with me. It was uh, magazines and books because my mom used to allow. I mean, we didn't have a babysitter, so my mom would drop us off in the summertime at the library. And we'd be at the library from the minute they opened the doors until my mom got off of work and picked us up, you know, like 10 hours later or eight hours later. So everything firearms related, I would read from cover to cover during the summer. And then she allowed me to pick up uh, (laughs) with our allowance, I could buy books at the Salvation Army or the Goodwill and, and, you know, they'd be like a quarter for two books or a dime for a book or something. So I, I picked up most of my stuff there. And when I went to the gun store, I was just that kid that had his face in the glass and I'd ask a thousand million questions. Um, so, yeah, me, I learned a lot from books and magazines before the Internet. Uh, I'm going to throw this in there and then let Cobra go. So I think I was going to say something similar to that, but then here's the thing. There was that intermediate where we learned a bunch of stuff as kids. However, we learned it probably had to go learn it ourselves because nobody was just like, let me tell you a bunch of stuff, right? Unless you hung out at a gun shop or something. But then at some point we all got to the point where we hung out at the range or for me, it was gun shows more. Well, I don't know. I did hang out at the range a lot. I used to volunteer at the range. So, you know, got a lot of time chatting with people. But once you like have that level of knowledge and you get to the point where you're interested in sharing it with people, you've got the gun shows, you've got the ranges where there's nobody stopping you. There's no nothing preventing you at all from standing there and having conversations with random people. Like in both of those situations, that happens constantly and it's totally part of the thing. At a gun shop, it can be weird, but some gun shops encourage it. They'll have like a coffee section, they'll have couches and magazines, and they definitely encourage people to just hang out and shoot the shit right meet each other and learn the community so there's that time when we all learn stuff from books and we all had our areas of interest but then we'd go hang out like think of that gun shop where they encourage it you're going to go there on a saturday because your wife's changing tires in the car or whatever she's doing right and now you're going to hang out at the gun shop drinking coffee and a bunch of people are going to show up and some of them are going to be competition shooters some of them are going to be collectors some of them are going to be new to guns right kind of like the internet I think there was that time in all of our lives, I'm thinking maybe the 90s for us, where how much did we learn then? And we're just taking that all for granted because we're just regurgitating all that knowledge on the internet now, right? I mean, we've definitely learned stuff since then, but I'm thinking there was a chunk there that we all learned stuff and then we shared that stuff. And that's where I think I learned more than anything because I had, well, I opened my ears. I don't know, I'm sure you guys are the same way. Like when you get into those situations and just start listening to the conversations people are having, you, you learn tons that way. Oh, definitely. I, I tried to pick up stuff from everywhere because I knew you weren't going to learn a darn thing from television. Nothing on TV was worth watching, really, for the most part. Not to learn, right? Like maybe on Saturdays there was something once in a while with a gun in it. Yeah. But other than that, 
it was like a thing where they would do like like Charlie's Angels would fight against like the Rockford Files on some kind of show, like all the actors. And then I remember mm -hmm. one of those shows because somebody in the house was watching that stuff. And in one of those, they're like, they're holding guns. And I'd run in there and they were like shooting shotguns against each other, like, you know, having like a skeet match against each other. Yeah. You know, like celebrity superstars or whatever. And then <laughs> I don't know if you remember those things, but like that would be about the closest we got to like acknowledging the guns exist on TV. Pretty much. It was ridiculous because I, I don't know what they were doing because all of these people made a living off of being gun people. I mean, using firearms on their shows. Okay, well, I interrupted in there. Sorry, I'm interrupting you now, but I just noticed that we're about to hit the one, oh. two hours, and I'm yeah. being a bad host. I interrupted before Clover even got a chance to answer this one. Where do you learn most about guns? Nowadays, probably the internet gun community. I think um, back in the day, I think the shooting range, I think all too often people are too busy doing their own things a lot of times, and then uh, as far as gun shops, I think that there's the potential of only getting like one idea, one opinion, one perspective. Um, so, you know, even back in the day, I think the gun shows uh, were probably the best of, out of out of those three anyway. That's a good point. And they're definitely changing. Like the character of a gun show, show is, I mean, people have ignored them and they run away, unfortunately. But uh, shops, it's definitely the shop itself. And I've been to 200 ish because I count, and uh, very, very few encourage that kind of thing. Um, and then the range, again, it kind of depends. And if you, if that exists at a range, is it on Saturday mornings? Is it on Sunday afternoons? You know, is it on a Thursday because that's when those guys all hang out there? Or, you know what I mean? Like you have to kind of, go to the range a lot to even discover if that's even happening at a range where the internet it's easy it's there it's indexable um but i was just about to ask what do you think would be next but that would take us on another tangent and i'm gonna try to end it here so we'll leave people with that like what would you think is next if uh, the internet is the evolution of where we learn most about guns no one thinks this is the end right like Oh, well, we won't have holograms or some kind of brain scans or anything like what'll be next. Uh, I won't ask these guys. I'll just leave that out there for the rest of the world. But I will ask you guys, uh, do you want to leave us with your contact info, any projects you've got coming up, shoots, uh, events, things that are going on? Uh, Tony? Yeah, my next event is June 29th at Recoil Range in Monroe, New Jersey. So uh, those are on all of my social media right now. So you can go to, you can visit me on uh, Instagram at Simon Says Train, uh, Simon Says Train on Facebook. The second is for everyone on Facebook and second four, the number four, everyone on uh, Twitter. And in the link, I have the tickets. So just click the link. It'll take you right to Eventbrite. Uh, that way you can do that. It'll be awesome. Thanks. I am uh, trying to find your channel, which we contact each other constantly on Instagram. And I have <laughs> Simon Says, and it still isn't like suggesting. So it's definitely doing one of those shadow ban. Is that the word? It's like messing with me. I'm at the yep. whole thing here. But anyway, uh, right on. And then Clover. Well, I'll say go check out Tony because he's the one doing all the 
all the work. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, hit me up on clovertack.com. Follow wherever you want to follow there. Uh, make it pretty easy for you, regardless of what you uh, what you choose to use for your social medias. That's that's it. No so, yeah. uh, interviews coming up. Don't you got a bunch coming? I've got um, I've got Cody with Taurus this week, and that's the only thing that's right now is on deck. That's always subject to change as I get people scheduled. The the problem um, right now is getting into summertime. Summertime is difficult to to do things. It's always been that way. So let's hope I can get some more guests moving forward. Right on. Well, um, thanks, guys, for joining in. Uh, later on today, you've got, let me try to type and talk at the same time. Let me get Clover's Instagram out here since I accomplished doing that almost in time to get both of you guys your links out as they were happening or as you were talking. Um, I think the next thing that'll be up is G23, who's out in the chat, uh, hosts a conversation on Saturdays and then. Uh, Brooke Jeannie from A Great Start Shooting School will do suicide prevention Saturday. Two out of every gun deaths are from suicide. So if we truly want to eliminate those uh, deaths, then I guess we don't have to have Clover up there. Sorry about that. If we really want to eliminate those uh, deaths, then let's talk about ways that we can prevent suicide. In addition, if we had to have more effective conversations and debates with people who want to take our property or our rights away, we can talk about how to save lives to, and work together for that. Uh, Brooke puts a consistent effort out every Saturday to uh, give people ideas and tips and strategies to accomplish that. After that, Barbecue uh, has his, uh, barbe his barbecue chat. He does a chat about that kind of stuff. And then later on this evening, late night, uh, Foss has the uh, the overnight and tonight they're talking about EDC guns. I guess I should have brought that one up as well. So there's lots of stuff that happens on Saturdays. We're glad that you started out the day hopefully with uh, Caliber Corner. Does am I Cork and Rick right now? I think Rick still does a show. So thanks for spending your Saturdays with the folks online that are doing stuff. Support Tony who's doing good work constantly on in real life boots on the ground, getting people introduced to gun owners and guns. Uh, Clover Tech. Uh, working with uh, content creators. Well, you know what you didn't mention is you just put up a new video over on the... Yeah, I did, on the GunTuber Academy. Yeah, sure did. Yeah. Tell us about I that. I had... One. Well, you know, I had... Um, uh, coming out of SHOT Show, obviously SHOT Show NRA had the gathering, had, you know, all these events at the first part of the year. And I can't tell you how many compliments I got on my uh, media, like my information packet. So you go to these events, you... You talk to these folks, you, you know, explain what you can do, different projects you might be able to work on together. Then you get back home, you follow up, and they go, hey, we need your info. It might be just to send a product. It might be maybe they're wanting to send a gun or something that has to go through an FFL. You know, maybe it's a sponsorship package. But, you know, who knows, right, what um, that, that deal is. And they ask for your information. And so it's really nice. I've got all of mine, and I have to keep it updated you know, year over year. And matter of fact, just about a month ago, I had to go in and update a few things, but you got to keep it updated, but it's everything, no matter who I deal with is right there in one place. Now, is it more information than some companies need? Yes. Um, but um, 
everything is there in one place. And I've never had a company come back as long as I've done that and go, oh, uh, we need you to send us this, right? Uh, and especially since those events, I've just had multiple people go, man, I wish everybody else would <laughs> send us the information like you do. And I'm like, you know what? Since I've heard that so many times, let's kind of do a little video and talk about, you know, how we kind of get that together. And so we're talking about, you know, tax information, your straight up your contact information, your ID, your FFL paperwork, you know, all of that stuff in a little packet. Um, so we're not talking about a a media kit. I think a media kit is a little different thing because that talks more about and when they do that at some point, but that talks more about the views you get and what uh you know what social media channels and platforms your own and your audience and your demographics and that's that kind of thing. And um for me, I discuss that kind of thing at the shows. <laughs> so we, we kind of get that stuff out of the way. They don't need that. They just, you know, they're ready to work with me and they need whatever information they need to, to facilitate that and make that happen. So, uh, yeah, that was the video drop on that channel. Right on. And is that, um, just curiosity, is that something that you got things scheduled over there? Or is that like as they come up or as people have enough questions targets opportunity or is it uh is, is yeah i've, I've mainly been yeah I've mainly been just doing things on that channel as questions come up and there's 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 things to talk about because it the the problem with that channel is it is a subsection of a subsection of the subsection of a niche right um so you you talk about your quote-unquote youtube helpers in general right um, and they put out bland vanilla, you know, here's the general recipe, you know, oh, if you're going to bake a cake, well, you need some flour, you need some milk, and you need some baking soda or what. And it's like, well, duh, right? Like, we all know that, but depending on the cake you're making and depending on, you know, how good you want it to taste and, you know, the portions you use and the brands you buy, right? And so that always uh, aggravated me. And so... Uh, that's why I started the Contuber Academy. The problem with being specialized and talking more how things specifically relate to people doing farm-related content is I've cut myself. I'm not talking to everybody that watches firearm content, right? I'm talking to people that actively are creating firearm content. So not only have I cut my audience down, niched down from just anybody on YouTube, but now I've niched down to just firearm. And now I've niched down even further to just those that are doing uh, firearm related content. And we're talking about typically smaller channels that do firearm content and those <laughs> willing to look for the information, right? Or seek actually active and seeking information. So many in our niche and it happens in other niches as well. They just film videos and throw them up on YouTube and whatever happens, happens, right? They they don't seek to learn about what's going on and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, because of that, I don't just have a schedule and make videos and throw them on that channel. I do them as I, as I see that there's questions, there's some type of demand. It may only be 12 or 15 people that, you know, are curious, but at least there's some type of demand. That channel is more an on-demand type thing than it is I'm trying to put, you know, just saturate information out there. Because the other well, part of it, the other part of it is, something. is things change so quickly, right? I mean, you've been a part of the nerd chats and stuff like that in the past. Uh, and so, like, how, you know, 
you talk about something a year from now, it's probably going to be a little different procedure or the way it works is a little different or whatever than it is today. So um, the evergreen, um, poss the possibilities of evergreen is not quite as strong as when you're reviewing, let's say, a firearm. Well, okay, well, I appreciate that because that's insight to uh, folks on like the thought process and the reasoning for it but i think it also lets folks know who might be interested to hear something oh i don't know about an issue they're having or about something that maybe even that they think others are having they they don't encounter it but they'd like to see clover's take on addressing it uh right. don't wait for clover to have some like i was saying like some kind of syllabus that you're trying to fill eventually it's more like let Clover know he's, you're interested in that. And if oh, yeah. reach people out. Yeah. that address it or whatever. Yeah. And even reach out privately. I mean, you can get me on, you know, email on the website through DMs, through whatever. And, you know, the that's the other gripe I got is even if you're talking about a specific channel in a specific niche, all channels are different. The way you create your content is going to be different. Even if maybe you only talk about shotguns, well, your content is going to be different because you're a different person than the next guy that all he does is, is shotguns right so trying to apply the same set of rules tactics ideas policy everything else um, across channels sometimes is different and, and sometimes people don't want to talk about that um or they at least they don't want to you know publicly uh, get out there and whatever and understand. Well, There's, if the recipe is sometimes you'll need flour and you'll usually need eggs and then don't forget you'll need an oven. If it's that right. big, you know, why would they want to get into any specifics, right? Oh, right. Yeah. And so what I'm saying is there's not almost not a day of the week that goes by. Weekends are usually a little bit slow on this, but there's almost not a day of the week that goes by that some creator, you know, gun tuber, firearm content creator, um, I don't talk to them on the phone. They don't, they haven't called, they haven't shot me a text and, you know, have a question or shot me an email or have a question or whatever. So, um, yeah, if you've got questions or whatever, don't, don't think that just because you ask a question, I'm going to make a video either. Um, sometimes let's just uh, talk about it. If we can't get you squared away. It might take a day for the video to come out. Once you've asked the question, like you hit enter, you shouldn't expect it immediately, but within a day. Well, a lot of times I want to address a specific thing with that creator, right? So it's like, you know, I, I can give my general thoughts uh, on things. But again, we go back into that vague idea of a recipe. Like everybody knows you need flour and you need sugar and you need this. But it's like in what portions or what brands or whatever. An angel food cake or a cupcake. And so different let's... Let's talk about your specific issue, which is a more private, personal conversation. Let's talk about that and get you squared away first. And then once we do that, yeah, then I may decide, hey, that was information that I think is important. And then, you know, I may throw a video out because of that. I was kind of turned around. But, yeah, that's the whole point is let Clover know. And then the gun tuber thing will just get bigger and... Uh address your points and then you can always have your own discussion based off of clovers uh, uh whatever he puts out there because you can always put out look do you have a community tab over there yet no i do not there's like a i think it's only like 130 oh, yeah. or 40 subs or something and like i said I, it'll never get i would be surprised if it ever hits a thousand subscribers over there 
just because of how narrowed down the focus is. Yeah. And that's intentional. That's intentional. So well, you put um, a leather bit on the top. So what are you going to expect? Right. But no, it's that's anyway. So yeah, I appreciate you're putting the effort into it and just letting people who might be listening this late into it know that yeah, just let Cobra know. And it's not like you're guaranteed to get one up there, but there's no way he's gonna know that he should address something unless he gets some questions about it. This is true. Don't be afraid to ask the questions. That's the big thing. And don't assume, right? Don't assume that it's YouTube bias. Don't assume that you know it's because oh. YouTube doesn't care about small channels. Don't assume that you're doing things correctly. You know, ask questions. I'm going to mention a couple other things since we already blew the time schedule out of the water. Um, Mike is asking what's on next. Uh, G23 is technically next. His show is 46 minutes from now. A great start shooting school will be more than likely the next thing after that. And then barbecue is up. Uh, in four hours from now then you get uh i'm going to go over and grab boss's show the overnight we'll be talking about edc tonight and it'll tell me in a second how oh, i'm not screen sharing but i'm thumbing through my uh my subscribers over here or the people that i subscribe to over here and looking for his thing uh which will be eight hours from now at 11 p.m my time so 1 a.m for the metric time zones so that's what's coming up next. <laughs> I was going to say, though, one other thing, I guess, since we already blew the time thing. Are, Tony, are you going out to Rick Actors thing at the end of July? No. Uh, end of July, I actually have to move out of here. And uh, yeah, and uh, hopefully I'll be moving into a house. I have to move out of the place I'm in now and find another place to live until I can purchase a house. It all just sucks, man. My timing blows this year. Uh, house hunting is just horrid i really wanted to go to rick's i really wanted to go to kevin's but trying to find a home is more important priorities man <laughs> oh yeah kind of have to do that so um well i just i was going to use that as an opportunity to plug it though so we'll still plug the fact that rick does uh a shoot i don't know it's the 11th 10th year uh, 11th year 11th and because uh, he didn't shut down during any of the craziness of stress of the last couple of years. So um, anyway, he brings a bunch of instructors together in Detroit so that, well, it started out being one day. I think it's two days now. Uh, he'll mm -hmm. have a, a free, if I understand correctly. Yes. Uh, anybody can show up. I don't think you have to have an appointment or anything, but it's like a free opportunity to get an orientation and familiarization and then uh, and uh, basically effectively a brief, uh, firearm, a handgun course. So you get to familiarize, orient yourself with a firearm, and then uh, get some shots at, at the, on the range. And this is for ladies, focused on ladies, self-defense, and again, sort of, a, I don't know what to call that, like an event, a happening, and mm -hmm. add a range to kind of normalize the idea of doing something at the range, giving people an experience that they might not have. I'm assuming with what is it, 4,000 ladies or am I crazy? 4,000 women. So I'm assuming some of these ladies are coming back year after year. This is like their thing to do and they're bringing their friends kind of thing. But it's an opportunity for Rick to bring all kinds of instructors together in not let's get together and learn how to train. Well, that's happening, I'm sure. And not let's get together and worry about the industry or something else. Like let's get together and train a bunch of ladies. But the afterwards and the off time has got to be 
exhausted, you know, you've been exhausted and doing stuff, but it's still, you're hanging out with all friends and having a great time. It's got to be a pretty fun uh, weekend in Detroit. Um, but at the same time, 4,000 ladies getting trained and familiarized with firearms or maybe up-trained each year, right? Getting a little bit more familiarization, if that's the case. I really don't know. There's a lot of people in Detroit. Maybe it is new people. I mean, do you have any insight on that? I don't have any insight on it. I just know a lot of my friends that are national instructors are going to be there. So the level, the quality level of the trainers that they will meet is awesome. Also, it allows these people to get into ranges um, because they know um, there are going to be a people like them there, you know, ladies that are first time shooters. So that intimidation level won't be there because, you know, everybody's a first time shooter. You know, everyone is there specifically for you. Um, and then that gives a lot of people a lot of peace of mind and they're not so intimidated. So, yeah, you're going to have ladies bringing their friends for the first time. And that's awesome. And um, it, it's just great because now they know where the range is. They've been there already. They've broken the ice. They've made friendships. So I think it helps out the ranges in the local area. It helps out the firearms instructors from that area. And also Detroit now has concealed carry. So it's possible for these ladies to actually protect themselves immediately uh, after those events, after they meet all the all the requirements. But it also introduces them to formal training. All good things. And again, we're under appreciating or taking for granted ten past years worth of ambi uh, you know willingness to work towards this goal and then put you know follow through on it uh tremendous effort and uh you know creates uh, infrastructure that you know it's that why we are where we are today right this is rick is part of the, it's part of that infrastructure that's 10 years of ladies being they're not going to be fooled right nobody's in a, no politician is going to come up and tell these ladies what the performance of a nine millimeter is they've experienced it and they can immediately tell their, you know, people they know, friends, family, people at work and church and stuff. Nah, here's what a nine millimeter does. Let's go find out. Rick's got, you know, Rick will be there in July. Mm -hmm. um, actually, I'm promoting that. Uh, thanks for reminding me. I'm going to actually post something immediately after I get off air uh, about that. Rick actually reached out to me because I thought I was going to be able to go, but this is, person at home isn't working like I thought it was. Um, so I'm going to just be here being a cheerleader and spreading the word as much as possible since I can't make it. This would be a lot easier if Tony had some sort of a mini mansion, some kind of a mansion with enough property <laughs> where you could have a range right on it in New Jersey, right? And then yes. like one of those garages with like five or six bays with a workshop off the side and then like a pool place and tennis racket area for the wife to entertain and then like a nice house. Oh, dude, camp, camp, camp diversity shoot. Oh, there you go. Oh, that would be that would insane. Be interesting one. That'd be an interesting conversation. Uh, what would Tony's diversity camp diversity shoot be like? Where and actually, that might be interesting. Maybe we'll do that as a, a featured <laughs> ask gun questions. How we would build a camp diversity shoot. <laughs> Sounds like fun. All right, well, so with that, we'll end this one. I'm going to throw a commercial up for our store. Clover has a store. It's uh, clovertac.com. Go a little bit way down the page, and it'll say Swag Shop, right? 
There's been yeah. smoking over there. And then yeah. Tony's got uh, uh, diversityshoot.com. There's a place over on the right where you can drop 20 bucks on PayPal or whatever you want, 50 bucks on PayPal. You know how the world is. The guy needs a gallon of gas, give him 20 bucks. And uh, uh, we have a store also, gearwebsites.com. So we appreciate people that support what we're doing. Please support those that are supporting the community. And we'll be back next Saturday. Bye, everyone. AskGunQuestions.com is a website that we built back in 2007. And since then, for the last 15 years, people have been able to ask questions of simple to advanced nature, and we attempt to answer them in different ways over the years. Join us now as we start a new series to answer gun questions. GearWebsites.com is your source for firearms-based playing cards and books. We also have mugs, shirts, and posters with designs that we've made live. Of course, we have patches every Friday. is Free Patch Friday. We appreciate your support. Thank you for shopping at GearWebsites.com.